0: And welcome back to Season 6 of sequelizers, a.k.a. Prequalizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers And joining me is Mr. Matthew Stockton Zulus, the size of tangerines <laughs> <laughs> Of course And joining us is Tim Matum
1: We'll have to find someone else to milk your mother <laughs> <laughs> sweet
0: little Uh, calf lovely Lovely.
2: that last bit of the sentence is important yeah (laughs) yeah, that's an important moment
0: (laughs) so if you haven't already guessed by the bizarre (laughs) and unpleasant (laughs) references at the beginning and of course the title of the episode it's time to fix a prequel from the 1970s. We're going back to 1979 and talking about Zulu Dawn, the prequel to the classic British war epic Zulu from 1964. And I had seen neither of these films going into it. I had heard a lot about Zulu, and I think my dad had tried to show me Zulu when I was a kid, um, or at least when I was younger, and and I'd not really kind of fully paid attention because he was doing the whole show me all the westerns and I mentioned like the Akira Kurosawa stuff he showed me like he going through all the classics and show me the big mm. epic war films and all this kind of stuff and I was not interested I was way more interested in cowboys and samurai than I was in like British imperial bullshit yeah <laughs> um, it, it is
2: quite dull as a prospect for a kid especially as it's one of those things like it gets really good at the end
0: and you're like yeah I don't want to hear that <laughs> two, two hours into it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it it was a weird experience kind of going back and watching this because I've seen clips from it and, and that kind of thing, but not really done the whole thing I referenced so much as like seen references to it and all this kind of stuff. Mm. I went in fairly fresh, not really knowing the story or how historically accurate it is or anything like that. And watching it, by the end it was like, how the fuck do they do a prequel to this? <laughs> because the battle is the film. Yeah. The other bit is surely just them getting up and setting up camp. Like, what the fuck <laughs> is the prequel? And it turns out I wasn't wrong. <laughs> it's just them <laughs> in a bunch of tents for about an hour and a half. And it's... Oh, God. But, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the original Zulu. Obviously, it's it's kind mm. of regarded as a classic, so I could, kind of mm. should have had fairly high expectations going into it. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it had an interesting message and stuff and had a fantastic performances across the board from a really kind of now star-studded cast of of well-renowned and like all-time great actors which kind of helps as well. Mm. And yeah, and then Zulu Dawn was just like, eh, fuck it. Let's just mate, take all the stuff that's interesting in the first one and just ignore it. And yeah, to to open this up to international
2: audiences a little bit. Um whenever uh, uh, any nation makes a Let's not say so, not so, not so definitive, but makes a film addressing their own personal history. And more importantly, their own personal history while in other countries. The in is short for invading. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's always weird how these things are presented, and it's always a moment of sensitivity. Now, obviously, this film... Christ, this film is, what, 60 years old? My, my math is terrible, but I'm pretty sure that's effectively correct. 56, uh, like 50, yeah. 60 years old. Yeah. yeah yep. So you are going to expect this to be a very dated and B, let's face it, quite jingoistic. It's going to end up being mm. racist and offensive, and and the truth of Zulu is it mostly isn't.
0: And we'll get back to it, that in a second. But it kind of mostly addresses that. That is kind of the point exactly. of the film is to express both sides equally and show the strengths and the weaknesses of both the That's Zulu honestly. and the Brits, and and kind of mm. show the the difference there. I was with you going into it. I was like, mm. Mm, I know this is regarded as a classic, but uh, is it going to be... I mean, we we talked about the Disney classics before and how many problems mm. there are. And you have to get the little disclaimer of like, this was the view of the world at the time. <laughs> Please don't judge us yeah. because we said the N-word. It's like, mm, mm. I'm, I'm a I, bit worried. And actually, it yeah, is also, it does me in that regard.
2: Yeah, it is also because it's been, let's face it, effectively hijacked and misappropriated by... A lot of people now. So in the same way that people say, oh, that Dunkirk Spirit. It's like, first of all, what are you talking about when you're because <laughs> are you talking about because there's a Polish shop on your street? You're like, I mean, who's that Dunkirk spirit? It's like, Dunkirk is where we had to leave. And I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, you know, retreated. But that's the problem. These things are hijacked by, let's face it, racists and, and uh patriotic and in inverted commas twats. And the the, the idea of the words rourke's Drift can be a bit of a trigger because the battle of Rorke's Drift which is what this film was effectively about. It's like, oh yeah, we're standing up against all these people invading us and it was all brave British boys. And you're like, the beautiful thing about this movie and the reason I still hold it as quite a classic is that it does say the ruling class, as it were, the upper class in charge were fucking arrogant idiots. And and, and, the...
0: and that's especially addressed mm. in Zulu Dawn. That's kind of the focus Correct. of the prequel is going into like, mm. all the generals are fucking toffs and idiots who have never seen a day of battle in their lives and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. happy to just send their soldiers off to die without really considering the consequences. Yeah.
2: Which, of course, led into the events of World War I as well, because it was the same mentality. Of, oh, it's fine, Just uh, uh, we've got another 30,000 boys, just send them over the top and uh, we'll be home by tea. Got to, got to make sure fuck that our, are you
1: our tent full of... Uh, snacks and cucumber sandwiches is set up on the battlefield.
2: That that was the classic, uh, the classic Monty Python thing, wasn't it? It's like, oh, old uh, Jeremy, here, old, old Rogerson's had a terrible time. i led torn off by a tiger. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> well, I mean, I can walk it off later. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Just meandering around in the jungle or mm. the fucking plains of Africa and just saying, well, it's just a regular day. We're going to go invent cricket now. Fuck off. So it's a really <laughs> awful part of our history. But this po- film specifically, and to be fair, Zulu Dawn, does present it as the people following orders, the, the soldiers are soldiers, and they're going through something awful. And there's some there's some really quotable lines of like, why are, sir, why are we here? So, because like, we don't even <laughs> want here, lad. No one else but us. And it's like, why are we defending this place? And it's like, mm, because we told you. And that's the nature of soldiery. And it's like, you know, when you end the line, and, um, <laughs> as a film that mentions, this is sort of more of our wheelhouse, as it were, for our demographic, a film that mentions Rook's Drift and holds it up quite well is something like Dog Soldiers, where <laughs> they're talking about it. And it's like, and then you got Pertwee saying, when I signed my life away on that dotted line, I fucking meant it. And it's like, when you are a soldier, it's not fucking playtime. You start saying, But the problem mm-hmm. is, you still follow a politician. You still follow a monarch. You follow someone who's giving you an order that might be horribly fucking wrong. And the thing about a soldier is you're supposed to follow it, not question it. Now, it's obviously... Extremely controversial and very, very topical, but this movie does a thing where it doesn't... It it addresses the politics and how it was a fucking disaster from the start and and the hubris of, like, arrogance. And, like, looking back, it's like, this was a terrible, stupid idea. You you don't want to overly glamorise it. And then the film doesn't. You don't want to say, these are brave boys marching in. It's like, well, no, they were shit scared because they were doing what they were told. And they could have easily... Well, a lot of them did die, you know? And it's brutal. But then equally, it doesn't say, those dirty savages. It's like, well, no, they were defending their fucking homeland, you absolute idiot. And the politics on the other side of it was very, very interesting because of the Zulu king negotiating all this stuff. And Zulu itself, the the, the plot of Zulu, is about this one group uh, led by these two sort of, not necessarily bickering, but two very different types of officer one who's an officer because he is an engineer and wants to build bridges. That's what he's there to do, build bridges. And one who's literally, hello, I'm a toff," Which is hmm. fucking Michael Caine. Yeah, which it's so, so weird. <laughs> weird
1: seeing him come in yeah. and be this kind of slightly effete British officer, which also dissolves away over the course of the film and he just goes back to oh, being yeah. Michael Caine. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, that's... <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like his PTSD is manifests in the form of an accent. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> precisely and then with the but the event of the film it leads up to this one big um standoff and there's no there's nowhere to go there's no support there's nothing they're on their own and it's proper sort of fun frontier western now the way it's described is an, an, an epic war film which is correct Zulu Dawn is described as an adventure film which is very strange um <laughs> that is not how I'd describe that film no it's still colonialist war but it does deal with more the pending rise to... I mean, the, 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 the very opening shot of Zulu is the Zulu warriors uh, marching over this 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 battlefield where Lord Chelmsford um, had... Uh, was it the Battle of uh, Isandlwana, mm-hmm. And he had... Just been, the force had been decimated. And because of that, half of the Zulu sort of went, right, we're done now, let's go back. We made our point. And the other one nope, fuck this. We're keeping moving. We're going to find more British. We're going to get them out there because they shouldn't be in our land. And it was in defiance to the king's law and all that sort of stuff. But the point is, that's how the movie starts. You're like, oh shit. And these men are like, well, we got to move over here. We've got to defend this position. And you start realizing this is coming. It's building. It is a tense and fantastically operated film. Zulu Dawn is the aforementioned battle in that first shot, the Battle of Induswana. But the problem is, getting to that point is incredibly slow and drawn out. And again the same politics on display like oh this is a uh, this is Ronald and this is his uh, this is his commander Nigel and this is his friend Jeremy. And we're all here in Africa. And it's like what the fuck is wrong with you people? But that's the nature of, you know, British colonialism at the time. So they're both quite unapologetic and on paper you'd think they would both sort of work. Zulu is great because it's actually done in a well uh, executed manner, and it's very vast in its shots, and it's terrifying and brilliant, and the sound design is awesome. Full stop. Zulu Dawn should be, one One could argue, the same thing again. And then, as Jack says, but the point is that nobody really, you don't really need that. There's no actual need for it whatsoever, because you've, see, you've seen the effect. It does the thing it does on the, on the story at the start of Zulu. Um, but you think, actually, no, it could be interesting to have a bit of, a, bit of an expansion on it. And all you end up with is a lot of chaos behind the set.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because in a way both films follow the same format in that you have the build up to a big battle and then a big battle. But they are so different in their execution of that and a lot of it has to do with the nature of the battles themselves, you know, mm. and in Zulu the focus is very much you know, it's the, the the even the lieutenants who are there, who are in command, have kind of been given these orders to hold this point for reasons they don't really understand. Like they they're, they're mm-hmm. kind of they don't know why they've been told to told, hold this point. As far as they can tell, like the smart thing to do would be to run away, but they've been yeah. told no. We we're you're you're holding this point, um, and. You know the 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 kind of the racial politics of it are complex. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. the whole thing is very. It, it never questions why. You know, Zulu itself never questions whether British people should be in Africa. You know, basically <laughs> invading and taking territory. It does yeah. at the time and 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 subsequently it's been praised because it shows the Zulu warriors as like smart capable people using tactics and and mm. uh and and and, yeah, and that, in some ways equal to the british forces which yes. which previously they, they they hadn't been
0: yeah that's a big theme of them kind of proving them that they're not savages and kind of like yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah so. they, they you know previously a lot of portrayals on film had just been like oh they're just mindless savages
0: um mm. but
1: and there are some efforts given to kind of humanise uh, the Zulu. You know, it starts off at a Zulu ceremony, and there's the slightly controversial thing at the end where they kind of salute the the mm. British forces. Um, yeah, well, we'll get into that moment in a minute. Yeah, when we talk about that. <laughs> um, but it, it, it never really individualises. Like you never deal with an individual Zulu, particularly you know the closest yeah. you get to is is kind of seeing the king and that's about it but it makes sense because the you know the the it's a it's a last stand scenario you know and so instantly you have that tension you've seen that the zulu have had this huge victory at isandlwana and then they're now coming down to this much smaller force although technically superior because you know they have far more guns and are used to using guns than the Zulus are um, yeah. but it's very much, a, we're outnumbered we're surrounded and the focus is on the people who are there to survive in Zulu Dawn, similarly the focus is on the British troops but uh, and politicians but they in many ways apart from like the frontline soldiers are the villains of the peace they are the people mm. who are uh, essentially scheming to invade Zululand um, mm. and to manipulate the Zulus into, into refusing a treaty and then using that as justification to invade. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to feel sympathy for any of the British troops in, in Zulu Dawn. Mm. But equally, it's it never really gives us the Zulu perspective either. And so you're left mm. with this film where you're like, I, I like I spent a lot of it just being like, I can't wait to see these guys get killed, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a weird feeling. Like it's it, in some ways it's almost like it's like turning uh, like a shitty horror film where you don't really like 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 a kind of classic, you know, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six or whatever, where it just mm. it makes all the teenagers you know stupid and unlikable. And you're just like, Mm. I can't wait for Jason to show up and wreck shop. Um, Yeah, yeah. And you know, as much as it respects the Zulus' tactics and respects them as a as a uh, an army, Mm. in a lot of ways they're kind of a force of nature, in the same way that Mm. you know a horror movie villain is. And you're just like, look at all these idiots blundering around like the South Africa region. Uh, I can't wait until. Like the villain shows up and just wrecks shop, you know <laughs> mm, um, mm. and people filming a tornado, yeah,
0: mm, and, yeah but, exactly,
1: and because of that nature there's there's none of the sympathy of the last stand, and so yeah. the battle is very hard to root for either side because again, it doesn't really humanize the Zulu that much um they're just seen as this this force of nature, this. You know, and as much as there's there's a kind of token respect given to them that we never see stuff from their perspective. We never see, uh, we see very little from their perspective. We get a few interactions where the king is kind of dealing with the British demands, and 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 and, mm. and we do see how unreasonable those are. But it's 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 a weird film. Like you spend it all with the bad guys, and mm. and it seems like the film knows that they're shit. Like. <laughs> like it's not like this is a oh at the time you know that they were seen as the heroes like the the film yeah. very clearly has that has that you know post-world war one idea of like no these these were idiot toffs trying to yeah. expand the british empire and it's the the people who are on the fr- who were on the front lines who suffered and so you've only got like Four of and, and and that's the other weird thing. It it as much as it has sympathy for the people on the front lines, there's very few of those who are actually shown and given personality.
2: Yeah, you recognise them now because it's like, hey, Bob Hoskins in a beard. Yeah, but that's not because you know <laughs> it's nothing to do with the characters because you know hindsight in that man's career. Yeah,
0: yeah, I want to go back to a moment you mentioned him right at the very end, which I think you correctly addressed as controversial is the moment where the Zulu like return and they think like oh my god they're going to attack and then they kind of like salute the British and it's like hmm is that endorsing British colonialism? <laughs> kind of feels like it is. And there there's two moments that are quite so in general as you mentioned Matt this is all real shit that happened. Real battles mm. Real battles in Zululand and the British, you know, we're kind of famous for going around and invading shit and being being colonialist assholes. You wouldn't know the... that
2: if you went to British school, unfortunately.
0: No, unfortunately not. Um, we don't
1: talk about it. No, <laughs> You've got to find that shit out yourself.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it, in general, like the whole location and the battles that happened, that's all historically accurate. But the two moments that apparently are the most kind of like creative freedom least historically accurate are that <clears> moment <throat> when the zulu at the end come and salute the the british at the end of zulu mm. and the, the 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 for one better phrase the sing-off that happens mm. when when the zulu are doing their chanting and their war cries and stuff mm. and the british start singing their songs back apparently that didn't happen but that's also maybe my favorite scene because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, like, it's a like, lot of people is yeah it's it's this amazing kind of like um a clash of cultures, but then they kind of almost meet in the middle. It's almost like the the famous, I think it's World War One story where they stop to play football mm. at Christmas. Yes, yeah, that in kind World of thing. thing, yeah, yeah, where they kind of all come together and and have a bonding experience over some mm. culturally, you know, a typically culturally different thing that then unites yeah. them. And it was still early in the war that... in
2: World War One as well, so it was the idea that obviously things were still terrible. But the... I mean, there's a there's a beautiful. Um film called, as they call it, Jour Noël, which I have butchered saying because I don't don't speak French very well, with uh, I think Daniel Brühl's in it and stuff. And it is just literally all about that football match. And yeah, it is. It's It's a strange moment of history. You're like, this is a bit, this is a bit weird, especially considering how it got later with the Somme and things like that. And all that, 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 that positivity was fucking gone because it was still early in, in the, in the conflict as it were. Um, and also, everyone was being told to be you know, home by Christmas, that kind of thing. I genuinely think a lot of the uh, the disparity, as it's saying, between 1964 Zulu and 1979 Zulu Dawn isn't just the fact that, you know, there's been a huge 15 year gap since the films, you know, both released respectively or whatever it is. I think there is a distinct few telling differences by the choice of director. So, director number one, uh, we got Cy Enfield. Now, he is an. American. And he read an article <laughs> on Rourke's Drift. And I think that is genuinely important. And uh, there's an old classic qu- uh, quote from Michael Caine who said, no English director would ever have hired me to be an upper class ter- person. They would have not given me a time of day. It's like, no, because you don't sound like it. And you have no <laughs> way you're of Michael portraying Kane. Michael Bly Caine. <laughs> and the thing as well, when he said, it, that, what apparently happened was they were doing auditions in London, allegedly, and Caine did this audition for the role and they said, yeah, that's the one of the worst auditions I've ever seen. Um but the plane leaves tomorrow and we have nobody so you might as well fucking come along. And then Kane got the huge credit for his and accolades for his performance and I was like oh it's amazing.
1: Well origi- originally uh, supposedly he he uh I think he was auditioning for the role of uh, Hook, Private Henry Hook. Correct. And oh, then yes. yeah. and then the director was like you don't look like a cockney. Uh <laughs> and and he was basically
0: the definitive cockney in yeah. all of yeah, cinema maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he was basically walking away and he says that the part of the reason that he's a star is that the bar where the place they were holding the auditions is so long. Uh mm. and and it was it was held at the very far end and did his audition and the was walking his way back and had almost got to the door and the and Cy Enfield was like, You know what you do look like? You look like a you look like a toff.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's so it's so
2: weird because Obviously, this is early in Kane's career but This is his breakout role mm. This is his rise to fame, as it were And he does, to be fair to him A very, very good performance yeah. It's very good And as you say, it does weigh in as it goes on Not, not the quality, but the whole Hello, dear boy yes. uh, We can cooperate, as they say That 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 C-3PO shit sort of dies down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then it's like Oh, God, it's C-3PO to with
0: the Ewoks, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God, all over again
2: But as an American director He's producing this thing based on an article he read. That, oh, I've got, I found out this history. It's very interesting. And that's why I do believe that is why you do get a bit of that uh, lack of jingoism, shall we say. Now, the biggest thing that the film was kind of, this is Zulu, was uh, uh, called out for was historical accuracy with regards to rifles. And of course, you've got a very specific type of fan who's very much into the history of it. And it's like, well, it's ridiculous. You might as well be using a Tommy gun. And you're like, fair enough. I totally get what you're saying. But also,
0: nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> um I so i watched a video about the historical accuracy of mm. of comparing both sure and like how much more accurate the uniforms were in zulu dawn than they were yeah, in zulu with the, the helmets like, and shit. The tea stained helmets and stuff yeah, kind of yes. like, i watched both of those films back to back and i gave no fucks whatsoever <laughs> i didn't even notice that they were tea stained and those ones were white like uh, who, who cares and as a man who's written a somewhat historically accurate graphic novel Lots mm. of people care. Yeah. Very much. <laughs> Turns so. out those people are uh, like the equivalent of me for like Star Wars is their World War II shit or their, you know, yes, imper- Imperialist Britain shit. So they give lots of fucks about yeah. everything. And they want to nitpick every tiny little detail, as I found out while I was writing <laughs> that fucking that fucking comic. <laughs> which is which is arguably fine because you do want a level of historical
2: accuracy with lots of things. But at the end of the day, and this is something people always mention when they're filmmakers. We're not making a fucking documentary.
0: Mm, that's We're the making thing. A, yeah.
2: a story, and that's and that's and obviously if you say well, I'm making a documentary, so when I have like aliens turn up at the end, it's like Wait, right, stop, right there, you've gone too far, <laughs> unless you are literally trying to do that. Cowboys and Aliens, right? <laughs> mm. But with Zulu Dawn, Douglas Hickox, the director of that, is English, and I do think a lot of that is different. But we'll get back to the production because i think the one of the reasons this film is terrible is the fucking production mm. but i think his mentality does mean that as tim said there's this idea that the zulus are presented this force of nature the fact that they're not really shown as an a, 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 as a personable opposition they're shown as the enemy that is coming and it's like yeah but you're kind of in their land you dickhead so it's more like an internal quandary of being english and figuring it out as opposed to why are we here exactly
1: one of the other, uh, not to not to harp on the historical accuracy thing, because I, I agree that you know these are fictionalized versions of the thing, and and mm. you know a lot of this, especially the rifle stuff, was just simply they couldn't get enough of the right rifles mm. um, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting ones is is uh, Henry Hook, the, the the character Henry Hook, who in the True. film is like a this kind of roguish. He's a criminal. He's essentially uh, um, been jailed at the start of the film in the, in the barracks for mm. i forget what insubordination or something like that
2: i want to say so and
1: uh but then comes good and kind of uh saves a bunch of the people in the the hospital uh building uh to, sort of towards the end of the film in, in a yeah quite a thrilling sequence um and i can't remember if it was his daughters or granddaughters uh, uh must have been granddaughters i guess going by the age mm. but they they basically protested the film because they said like you like he was a model officer like they, they made up this entire like character of henry hook yeah. uh to but basically because the filmmakers were like ah we kind of wanted like a shitty person who'd then come good in the end and we and we picked him yeah, of course um and uh and yeah apparently he he was just kind of like this highly decorated officer and they were just like ah, yeah. let's look down the list of names he'll do <laughs>
2: For historical purposes in film, you do have the moment where people change names. Now, this is either because it's like this person's an amalgam of a few different characters. That's, and that's a really common one, isn't it? Amalgamating that, Oh, it, this yeah. guy and
0: this guy both did the thing in the same place at the same time. So let's mm. have one character have yeah. a narrative arc that lets them do both kind of thing. The,
2: the one that amused me that considering everything that's going on right fucking now in the world, the one that amuses me the most is Lincoln, where it's like oh we've uh, we've changed some of the names of the senators who opposed uh, uh the, the you know the the amendment why is that exactly well you know we you can know, google that right yeah it's like well you know we don't want people who are survivors now to 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 have the um not necessarily the shame but certainly the any backlash or grief because of the way they were vehemently against it. it's like no 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 that's how it works yeah. that's how history works that's how legacy works it's you how don't it works choose now
0: history and legacy well unless yeah. you're the winners i suppose yeah but those are the same cunts that are flying the Confederate flags outside their houses. Yeah. So no, no, you don't get to choose that shit. And they chose their side.
1: And maybe it should be a point that, you know, the 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 person who, uh, you know, opposed uh, the ending of slavery, like, oh, their son went on to be a senator, and their son went on to be a senator, and their son went on to be a senator. Like, hmm, maybe mm-hmm. that should raise some questions in and of itself. This is the thing. It's like, no, we better protect those people. Should we? I mean, again, Sins of the Father and
2: all that, but at the same time, it's a similar with the Henry Hook thing. It's like, just, just do a new fucking name. No one's going to Google it. But as I say, people are very particular about the details. Yeah. So we always talk about things like, uh, obviously, the story, the actors, the director, the music, things that can bash a film that make it less enjoyable, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and a lot of the time, the reason things are bad comes down to the script, obviously. And... The production, the shooting schedule, things like that. This is these are genuinely the two things that make a film bad. So you get like this was always going to be bad because the script is terrible. You could try and save as much as you want to, but ultimately it's gonna be a fucking disaster. That's where <laughs> we come in. You're, you're, Damn right.
0: Your bright, <laughs> for example. Oh good lord. cracking L.
2: Bright, again, had good production. Uh the as far as I understand, the the direction went reasonably well. That looks really pretty in terms of makeup and stuff, so that's a a good production trying to save terrible script. Um, You mean the next Lord of
0: the Rings? Ooh, ooh. (laughs) Um, Max Landis, Jesus Christ.
2: (laughs) This is an example of a fairly mediocre script being hampered by awful production. So we mentioned Douglas Hickox earlier. Um, he wasn't exactly known for anything particularly amazing. So, you know, he's a he's a very dependable director. Had like I don't know, I want to say ten releases under his belt at this point. He went on to do a, a um, an adaptation of uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles, um, which was, from what I understand, fine. Ian Richardson's quite good in it, apparently. But he didn't really do a great deal of note, except for this is probably his biggest release in my opinion. Now, then it comes to the idea of the production. So these films are obviously shot in inverted commas abroad. They're not shot down, you know, the road in Kent or some shit like that. <laughs> um, so you have to go, abroad. and that always presents its own level of controversy and problems because you have people and cast and crew and yada yada yada. It's a big nightmare to orchestrate. While they were paying so much attention to the detail, the tea stained hats, the correct rifles, although they are a bit rusted in places, rah, 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 all that wank. The point is that the financing behind it was shocking. The amount of people who just straight up didn't get paid properly, uh, no completion guarantees, that kind of thing. Um, producers owing tens of thousands of pounds, which again in the 70s, it's a huge amount of money now, but a ridiculous amount of money then. Uh deferred fees not working out, um, the government getting involved as well. There were things like a thousand or so people involved in daily things. Because I mean, and will I will give this much. The difference between the fact that you'd think it'd be the other way around that an American um Director would have this big sprawling Western style epic, but it's quite contained and and a bit Alamo style with Zulu. Whereas this English guy's trying to think he's fucking David Lean and direct this you know giant sprawling Lawrence of Arabia, um, Doctor Zhivago style sweeping. Uh, vistas and for most of the point he does and during the actual battle the cinematography is not bad it's it's quite arguably well shot
0: there's a wide shot that starts on the Zulus and then pulls out and you see the reveal of the British forces Mm. and it's a really nice shot and I was like this looks this looks really good this is an hour and whatever the fuck into this movie, and <laughs> this is the first moment I've gone, Oh, that's nice, that's good. Like, yeah. it takes all, um, as we mentioned, the, the slow start and the slow burn leading up to that is mm. just brutal. And, 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 yeah.
1: and, and I think it's worth, like, in both Zulu and Zulu Dawn, like, this is obviously pre CGI, and just the amount of people mm. that they would have had to wrangle, um, yeah. just for the purposes of, like, Accurately representing the armies in this Is, is astonishing it's, it's, it's metropolis level It's you know uh, Cleopatra level kind of stuff Yeah definitely Yeah,
2: Gandhi uh, uh, Gone with the wind mm. There will always be films where they're saying the, the, the statistics for the most extras used on set And obviously we wouldn't do that now, it's impractical But when you see it on camera It is genuinely Daunting, terrifying And Um Unreplicatable. Mm. I don't think that's a word, but I've made a word.
0: Um, <laughs> it, Inimitable.
2: Sure, let's go with that. That's good. But
0: but yeah, just, a word. Just, just, the
2: con- just the concept that that what you're seeing is truly terrifying and brilliant, and mm. and and for lack of a better word. Awesome in that regard. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and mm-hmm. the, the battle in Zulu was said to be such an inspirational moment in cinema for big war epics and big battles mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, on the special edition of the Lord of the Rings DVDs, Peter Jackson talks about what an influence it was for the Helm's Deep battle. Oh, and yeah. To have the the orcs do the hur, 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 and like bash their spears and shields is a direct reference to the Zulu yep. chants and all that kind of stuff. And the I can't remember what film it is. I should look this up, but the Zulu chant is used in another film as the war oh. cries of another army. And they've, they've like sampled it and shifted it and changed it a little bit in the same way that, you know, the, the T-Rex in Jurassic park is yes. a lion, yes. an elephant and Steven Spielberg going, ah, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it is, it is. Look it up. Um, they, some, they sampled cause that that's like one of the few times you get that many people all at the same time, actually chanting for real. And like you said, this is way before CGI. So this mm-hmm. is literally hundreds of people all actually chanting. And it's a kind of, as you said, and you can't replicate that moment. So it's become this iconic kind of touch point of this is, this sets the the gold standard for how a, a huge epic battle is done on mm. screen. And I think Zulu totally holds up to that. The battle at the end of Zulu Dawn is actually quite well shot and quite well mm. done, but it just, doesn't hold up to the sheer epic and absolute kind of genre defining Zulu in the same way. And especially, and there's something we haven't really talked about and I think we should do the fact that it's 15 years later and basically it's no more kind of interesting looking. They haven't used any more. and we're not talking about CGI, but using technology that had developed in that time or anything like that, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really push the boundaries in the same way that the original did in the sixties. So you get this thing that kind of looks like a film from the 60s, and it's just trying to replicate that image from 15 years ago. It's like, well, no, you've had over a decade of, you know, other, Mm. this is the same year as fucking Alien, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) This is post-Star Wars. You've got all these cool ideas, and you could do all this interesting stuff, and Mm -hmm. you could use practical effects and visual effects in certain ways and mix it all together and blah, 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 blah. Mm. But they don't, and it's just this kind of like, uh, yeah, and you could have done something interesting with it, but they didn't. I want to say
2: that's down to unambitious direction, uh, because I, I, when I was much younger and I'd seen Zulu, because I was the same as Jack, I was like, I don't give a fuck about it. this. It's boring and piss on England. Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, but you know, it's. I assumed, incorrectly, that Zulu was 1964 and Zulu Dawn was 1969. I like, thought oh, that's, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is slowly like five years later. It's like yep. no, this is uh fifteen years later. Like. Even as, a, even as a younger person, when I started realizing, I think I must have realised in my early, early 20s, and I thought, fucking hell, that's a bit of a disaster. Um, case in point, in my personal collection, I have Zulu because it's a good film. I do not have Zulu Dawn. And I, I own all the
0: Transformers films. So, you know, I own shit. You um, have problems, Matthew. Yeah. Need some, at some point, we'll need to discuss that. We'll need to have an intervention on this podcast. Good luck. Um,
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> the other thing as well is what I was saying about the finance, because the financing is very, very important, thing, I think. So, there's old things with regards to the original Zulu there's like anachronistic stuff like people wearing rolexes and you're like what um and it's <laughs> it's it's a it's a weird thing whereby it's been debunked a few times i believe but the idea is like about nature of paying the zulu extras now um again zulu the original did a very interesting thing with the casting um where they actually cast as the role um of the king of the king of the zulus an actual zulu tribal leader in that role and they were like oh that's actually incredibly interesting um unfortunately it's also not necessarily dangerous but it, it it can really backfire like that um i do not remember the title of it the clint eastwood film where he's decided to recreate the uh the events of the attack on the train in paris or oh whatever it yeah is.
1: it's like 517 to paris or something so,
2: something like that yeah um and it's like we'll use the actual people it's like don't don't do that, please. That's a really dumb idea. Um, and again, sometimes it can work out fantastically because it's just like this is real. This is amazing. Like,
0: I know for Captain Phillips, we'll get real Somali pirates. Yeah, and like, mm, yeah. Maybe not that. Maybe not
2: that. Um, <laughs> whereas um, obviously Zulu Dawn didn't do the same thing, and there was a lot of outrage when they re- where, well, it came out later after the film's release that the uh, the there was like, a lot of animal cast in inverted commas um, who were more protected than the human cast. So the idea that the, again, I don't know how historically, factually accurate this is, but the idea that the dogs are paid more than the Zulu extras Jesus. by like
0: a couple of dollars. Um, and you're like, and back then what? a couple of dollars is a lot of money. Huge, huge. And that's obviously, uh, I remember hearing stories from my dad when he first started paying rent, he was paying like three pounds <laughs> a month and shit like that. Jesus, so 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 like a, I am exaggerating slightly. I think it was probably like fifteen or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. puts into perspective how much of a difference a couple of dollars in pay between humans and dogs. Yeah, <laughs> makes a huge difference.
2: Considering that uh, we say like, oh, they're paid like I don't know, three or four dollars a day, and like, that's disgraceful. It's like yeah, but it would only cost you like twenty five cents for like a big slap up. Uh, like, like, like if you went to like a. Um, a greasy spoon, as we call it in Britain, a diner, and effectively yeah. get a, have a, a full, meal. like
0: English breakfast, American breakfast, that kind of yeah. thing. And so a cup of coffee is like five cents and shit like that. Precisely. I'm not going to... Exp- I mean, we don't need to go over fucking, uh, you know, the nature
2: of uh, inflation with you all. You can Google it. Um, so inflation
0: it- over the past 56 years <laughs> has shifted a couple of times. There have been a couple and of recessions in the West that have And affected- this is why
2: historical accuracy has no place in film sometimes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking dull. I mean, there's an interesting scene, actually, in Zulu Dawn with the river crossing. Cause that was a big point. That's mm. what like in the first one, one of the engineers, uh, Stanley Baker's character is out there to just build bridges. That's what he's there for. He's, he's a bit of, you know, an educated man of, of the land as it were. And he's not, as well, he has a bit of a, uh, clashing with Bromhead every now and again. Um, and it is the idea that when you see the river crossing, it's like, Oh, it's a bit more historically accurate. You've got these things being shown. Yeah, cool. It's fucking dull.
1: <laughs> I am. Um- very stupid side note, but it did take me a long while. Well, not a long while. It took me about half an hour to stop laughing at the name Chard uh, because it's, <laughs> it's also, it's like, uh, you know, it, he's basically Lieutenant Lettuce, you know.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yep.
2: But then also behind the scenes, you also had Peter O'Toole. Fantastic actor, amazing performer, fucking nightmare man. <laughs> and
0: alcohol nightmare to work with
2: Yeah um, In the same way that, you know, uh, Apocalypse Now We're going to get Brando And he's going to have all these things ready Turns up a month late and massively overweight He's like, what the fuck is this, Brando? Well, <laughs> deal with it And it's like, oh, okay um, P.O. Toolpack was a bit of a nightmare to work with um, And unruly I mean, that's great for his character as Chelmsford Just this kind very of works, yeah. he's, yeah. just,
1: he's just an arrogant arsehole
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly Um but obviously it causes more disruption on sets, it causes delays, it causes chaos and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, I think it genuinely does come across on camera. In addition to being quite boring, it's also... It's also the product of discordant and chaotic production. I mean, it's a film about discordant and chaotic production under a rather clumsy leadership and it's like ah, oh, you mean you <laughs> um, there's a weird fourth wall
0: break irony there to that yeah
2: and it kind of works out at the end because the as, as jack pointed out earlier the final scenes are actually at times quite impressive and they look like oh here we go this is actually it except for the fact that i mean it also does a rogue one it, it leads from this directly this, into the, it yeah. yeah straight into the events of R- Rockdrift, drift and you go back and watch it and admittedly you can watch um the two back to back i think if i'm honest with you while there are some interesting expansions overall this film is the definition of an absolutely superfluous and pointless prequel um everything you needed was already established in that first few minutes of zulu there's been an attack politically driven on both sides arguably but in a situation where um the Zulus were put into a point where it's like, I mean, I'm not going to go into history just yet, but the idea is that you have to do X, Y, Z before Christmas. Otherwise we're going to walk into your land. It's like, that's physically impossible. Are you absolutely, are you off your fucking nut. And it's like, no, no, no. Oh, they didn't do it. Oh, bloody, I knew it. Well, Let's just go in anyway. We, we, we said, we'd, we'd give them a warning. It's like, I'm um, firing a warrant warning shot as I'm running towards you with a gun pulled. It's like, what is wrong with you, you absolute psycho? You can argue but expand it. And there is one key way to expand it, in my personal opinion. I can't bring up Clint Eastwood again. The Longest Day in 1960, which is a, a um a World War II movie about um the, the D-Day Normandy landings. And it I know shows funny well,
0: enough. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine.
2: <laughs> it's I really like that film. I think it's really good.
0: Yeah and well done. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. And it also is one of the very prime examples of let's get German actors and French actors speaking French and German and let's show them the both sides of the conflict and let's show not in the, like moustache twirling these people are evil rah.
0: Oh, I did him a comic
2: <laughs> exactly and that's why Jack's comic is 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 extremely commendable and you should all go get a copy and read it because it is genuinely very good Um, and I think in the, the sort of dual films Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers by Clint Eastwood Flags like of our Fathers, the American side of the story, although it is about, you know, the raising of the flag and the fallout of soldiers and the pressure and yada, 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 and, you know, and the, and the war effort and the war bonds and all that kind of thing. It's very interesting, but it's fine. The, the Japanese side of that story, however, is fucking brilliant. And it's all in Japanese, obviously, by, you know, Japanese actors, and Japanese um, crew and things, helmed by Clint Eastwood. Those two as a sort of companion piece is genius. I wish more directors had the ability to do, you know, whether they work or not, whether half of it's not as good. To do a companion piece where you film both sides of a, an attack as equal things in two separate movies, even if you combine it in one movie, is genius. I think the only way you could really fix a, a, a prequel to Zulu is to show more of the other side, so they're not, as Tim said, a force of nature. They're not this this uh, 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 strange, funny noise like a, like a train in the distance. <laughs> no, they're people. You fucking idiot. They're people who live here. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> maybe we show that and show that it wasn't just a. Mindless killers. It wasn't be. I mean, to be fair, Zulu does a reasonable job of trying to show that these are, you know, uh, wronged individuals and a a nation uh, uh, of people who have been invaded and they, are you know, for a foreign aggressor. Um, I th- I think ultimately that's one of the best ways to do a war film. You do have pockets of individuals you get used to as you go along, and you do have arcs of things, and conclusions. You don't rose tint it, and you show both sides. Not necessarily, I don't want to say as equals because I don't think in conflicts you do have equal opposing sides because especially in colonial eras, we turn up with guns yeah, Hmm. and that's not a great equaliser but at the same time you do show that these are individuals who are just having lives and things happened and they were defending their soil and I think that's important and Zulu Dawn didn't do any of that shit it did just more of the same but less good
0: So with the title Zulu Dawn I very much assumed the same thing. Oh, so it's going to be a prequel and we're going to see how... So we we kind of get how the Brits ended up in Zulu, Zulu, how they end up in Zululand in the first film. I assumed we were going to get like, oh, this is how the king became king. This is how Mm -hmm. they got here. This is why this is their land, blah, blah, blah. The title Zulu Dawn suggests it'll be the dawn of this group of zulus perhaps like this this warrior tribe will precisely coalesce and then you hear like the trumpets of the british over the hills or whatever like you know and you would do a rogue one where you would see everything from their perspective and then finally you get the moment where the british show up and it could be the battle before like we said yeah but no it's just a bunch of blokes in tents talking about cucumber sandwiches for <laughs> nearly two hours. <laughs> this is not what I needed. I don't need more of this toffee bullshit. This mm. is this is yeah the uninteresting bit. Like you said, this is the less interesting side of this story. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know we talked a lot about the 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 racism of British imperialism and the racism the racist readings you can do of Zulu. Yes, but yes. I think you know this again comes to the kind of. The racism of uh, the film industry overall is like Absolutely, for yes. a, a long while, and even now, like Hollywood is not really willing, uh, or the British film industry as well is not really willing to support a film that is purely the Zulu point of view. You know, uh, mm. or, or, I
0: think you'd have trouble making that today. Yeah, you would. I yeah. know there would be an it'd be enough. I would say backlash, but enough kind of quiet. Mhm, no, I don't think that's quite what the audience is looking for in 2020. Well, sorry about that. You, mm. you
1: certainly wouldn't get like the budget that something like Zulu or Zulu Dawn requires. You know, yes, it, yes. It, it would be, oh, well, we think the, the the audience for this is kind of niche, so, you know, if you want to make mm. that film, it's got to be a small intimate drama about the, you know, the king and his family kind of thing
2: yeah precisely um, and the, and even then you'd say people saying like oh it stokes a lot of aggression maybe yeah. we shouldn't poke that bear it's like maybe we need to actually talk about this
0: particularly relevant as we record this oh, uh, towards the I end know. of may just to break the fourth wall for your mm-hmm. listeners there's a lot of shit going on in terms of the black lives matter movement at the moment and mm-hmm. particularly appropriate time to record this podcast i feel is uh yeah it's an interesting yep. time to be discussing these topics and mm. As much as the, the opinion of three white British dudes doesn't particularly matter in the, in the grand scheme of things, mm. you know, I think it's an important thing for us as white people and as British people to discuss our history and our past and our privilege and how much yeah. that is inherently tied into our culture that you can't avoid. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, yeah, but I'm working class. I don't benefit from white privilege. Yes, you do. Mm. Yeah. It is unavoidable. You cannot deny and cannot avoid white privilege if you are a white person in the Western yeah. world. It is a thing that is just a fact that is so ingrained into your way of life and everyone else's way of life around here. We don't even fucking notice it anymore. And maybe if something... I mean, this is not spoilers, but maybe if we made something like Zulu Land in the modern era, mm. it, you can turn that into a commentary that talks about how, turns out, shit hasn't changed because... We had problems with uh, us being imperialist assholes and white privileged bastards back then, you know, a hundred plus years ago, <laughs> yeah. and it's still the same shit now. But, oh, it's 2020, we're all so woke and everything's fine. No, it's not. <laughs> it's really fucking not, and we haven't changed as much as I think we like to think we've changed. Mm. We, have, we have a platform, and it's
2: our duty to effectively use it for good. And, um, <laughs> and part of that is to call out the acts of people from our history, whether I mean, we're not directly involved, but at the end of the day, we can't directly stand by the way. And I know this sounds like being like, oh, we're just a fucking podcast. It's like, yeah, we're a podcast which talks about why stories should be better. And part of being better is to tell the stories that are important. Mm. And the other side of the Zulu story is important.
1: And, and reckoning with this stuff is, you know, it, uh, our imperialist history and, you know, our history of racism and our present mm. of racism. You know that is that is the, the kind of the work as you know white people who benefit from it like that's that's what that's some of the best stuff that you can do is kind of confront that yes. and tr- treat it head on and go like yeah this was the shit that we did and the shit that we still do and mm. you have to you have to hold that in your head and be like yeah, it's really bad we need to be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. incidentally
2: because uh, I know I know that there's a certain reaction to this a knee jerk reaction and I want to address it very briefly because it's also worth worth talking about if there are people out now um who are listening to the podcast and thinking oh fucking hell, don't don't politicize this guys come on can we just talk about like you know spider-man again I was again? Waiting
0: for you to say that because I was Yeah, to
2: <laughs> yeah. and it, it is it, the thing is the truth is of course you directly Weren't involved in the Zulu Wars (laughs) in the conflict in South Africa a hundred odd years ago. I am completely aware of that. We all are, but that doesn't make us not in any way affected by it in terms of our status as a society. And subsequently, we need to talk about it. And it is not us saying you should feel bad. You're an awful person. It's like, well, of course not. Unless you're doing awful fucking things. It's just the idea that there is a. I mean, again, I, I would quite happily. Quite often on this show, as we know Proclaim my Not necessarily pride is very much the wrong word But I am half English Half Irish Both nations have done atrocities Terrible (laughs) fucking things The fucking worst And yet at the same time, I don't I am not directly responsible for those things, but nor mm. am I complicit. While I'm not complicit, I'm not devoid of responsibility of awareness of those things. And that, again, is not an attack on individuals now. It is a statement about who we were, so who we can be, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you for coming to my TED talk.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, and we we, we mentioned at the beginning that um, uh, I think Jack mentioned, you know, and, and I, this was also my first time watching Zulu and Zulu Dawn, and mm-hmm. that we were pleasantly surprised at the lack of explicit racism in it what i like to think (laughs) of as like saturday morning racism because it's it's the kind that you know gi joe and thundercats and stuff uh, you know and all these cartoons from the 80s and 90s would have these kind of slightly Mm. moral lessons about of like you know oh it's not it's not good to you know not let this person in your game because they're different kind of stuff um and it's the thing that racism doesn't always manifest itself as, you know, someone yelling racial, you know, slurs at people. You know, mm. it it comes in a huge variety of things, and you know, Zulu and Zulu Dawn are relatively decent when it comes to that kind of explicit racism. As in, we don't, mm. we don't, uh, they they would, and and you know product of their time kind of all those excuses like if if i'd gone into this and there were just loads of soldiers just saying racial slurs about the zulus uh i would not have been surprised i would have been mm, mm. disappointed but not surprised
0: um so that's kind of what i expected going yeah, into it not exa- quite the racial slurs but yeah. very much like a oh there are a bunch of savages blah blah blah. all that blah, kind, of kind of the, of the
1: stereotyping and, and that kind of stuff and yeah. they're that does happen in the films, but not very much, and it's often challenged when it is, you know. And there mm. are there are a voice is given to people who basically say, you know, like you say they're they're savages, but you know they're that they, they will defeat you, kind of thing. They're smarter than you think. They're, you know, mm. there's the bit in the the marriage ceremony at the beginning where mm. um the 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 missionary played by Otto is talking to his daughter. Uh, not played by Otto Witt. His name is Otto Witt. It's played by Jack Hawkins. And she says, oh, you know, why, why are they, you know, basically in a ma- arranged marriages, they're being married married off to these warriors. And he turns around and says, well, in Europe, there are plenty of people who are married off for wealth. You know, I think they'd rather be married exactly. off to a brave man than to a, uh, a wealthy one. Um, mm-hmm. So it does challenge some of that explicit racism. But, you know, the whole thing often is a function of the more kind of uh inherent to society under under-the-water racism, um, that is harder to to fight against and harder to to challenge.
2: Yeah. Oh, over the but before we recorded, very briefly, um, we were talking about British television in the 70s and sixties. And the idea that kind of what stoked a lot of the general mindsets that a lot of um I don't be uh, fuck it boomers um <laughs> people have today and have you know ingrained in their kids and so on and so forth it comes down to what they saw on TV because while this is a film that tries to say something not everybody watches films and people take the wrong thing away from a film or or they can misinterpret these things um a good a good example for me was is is David Croft so and that this isn't me just bashing things it's me trying to portray the the scene at the time when this film was released because I, I think this film Doing what it did and saying what it said is quite progressive. It's again, from 2020 vision, yes, of course, could done more. But at the time, didn't didn't take the easy road out. So the David Croft stuff, uh, the people in this country, in Britain, probably know is the 80s stuff like LOLO and... Heidi High and Dad's Army in the 60s and 70s and it ain't half hot mum specifically so these all perpetrated a lot of classic British stereotypes the sort of what we like to call sort of carry-on movie stereotypes you've got a randy old lady and you've got this camp man and you've got this uh, overbearing political man and a very stuffy effete person it's, like, it's all very much here are the archetypes of British society as brought together by the events of World War II and you know, in World War One, people who wouldn't usually mingle as it were are now brought together And it ain't half hot mum specifically is very much perpetrates the idea of um, colonialist sympathies uh, and the overtone of imperialism being a good thing. And we're here to bring good old British justice, British education to these people. And like, yeah. And unfortunately, that, that mindset was permeated and perpetuated on television all the time. In addition to, let's face it, open racism, open homophobia, open sexism, all that kind of stuff. And it's almost a bizarre occurrence to me personally that these movies even exist in the way they do.
1: I think like talking about, you know, people don't people don't know what watching things and they don't always take the message from them that is perhaps, you know, that that I think the filmmakers are trying to make, you know, especially with yeah. Zulu Dawn. You can't I I I, I I'm sure there are people out there who can watch that film and be like, what a terrible slaughter all those Zulus did. And it's like, we invaded there. Like it, The film is pretty yeah. explicit in that it's us invading them and the, the yeah. we have no justification and that the local, you know, lord uh, who's in charge there going against the wishes of even the queen and the government back home to exactly. expand his power and stuff like that. But um, I... I, as I said, this is my first time watching Zulu. My awareness of it when I was younger is that it was something that showed a lot on Sunday afternoons on TV, uh, but it was yeah. long, you know, with ad breaks, you know, it was probably three hours. Um mm, yeah. so I wasn't gonna sit down for that. And <laughs> um uh and I was vaguely aware that it was my uh one of my granddad's favourite films uh mm. and uh i am very glad that i never watched it with him because i'd imagine that he took all the wrong lessons from <laughs> he he uh he <laughs> yeah, passed yeah. away when i was 11 so i never i never like properly you know i i, I knew him but you know the, i i never kind of uh got to that stage where In you a way start in a
2: child as an adult yes yeah.
1: exactly um and uh thinking of what i know of him now i'm very glad i never watched Zulu with him um, because I'm sure he probably took all the wrong messages from it.
2: Yeah, you don't want to tarnish the image of someone from your family or history, or even closely thinking, oh, are you gonna be cheering on some things I don't want you to say or hear right now? And yeah. it's a classic generational issue, it's always the nature of regression. Yeah. But so we should we get to to fixing it, I imagine? I, I
1: think it's I think it's time we talk about a fix. Mm. But before that, we should uh we should pay some bills and we should look at some scores.
2: Tim, you are entirely correct, Uh, and uh, it is my duty, my sworn responsibility to give you this week's Stitcher Premium ad. Stitcher Premium, Uh, listen to some of your favourite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium, such as uh, anything about the various conquests of uh, British imperialism, colonialism across the world, Uh, the East India Company as well. Very important read up on this sort of stuff. Uh, plus, you can get access to Stitch Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and much, 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 much more. Uh, the cost, of course, is the same you would pay for a dog actor, um, which is, of course, four ninety nine
0: dollars <laughs> per month.
2: <laughs> or yeah, alternatively...
0: That, I've been silently giggling the whole time, but that one broke <laughs> me.
2: Alternatively, you could pay $34.99 uh, yeah, for a subscription. I don't know what that is in pounds and shillings and groats and things, but it, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can, to get this offer, you can go to stitcher.com premium and use the code sequelizers. You know how to spell sequelizers the British way with uh, L's and Q's and S's and
1: things. <laughs> Plenty of U's in there.
2: Plenty of U's no E U's of course. <laughs> anyway, and uh, if you do that, I, I know we're prequalizers. I wait, 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 wait. But this is a Sequelizers free offer. Month free, month free, or us. You're damn lucky. And with that, back to your regular broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Back to the show.
1: Very good, sir.
2: Very good. Come on, on, on let's.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> where the fucking came from? <laughs> so this week, as it is my uh, duty to not only write the show but edit the show, I will have the Rotten Tomato scores here in front of me. Uh, gentlemen, do you want to take some guesses about Zulu and Zulu Dawn?
0: Yes, yes, I do. Good. I'm going to go. Since Zulu is considered a bit of a classic, I'm going to go pretty high on Zulu. I think I'm going to go for 86. Not quite the classic, like pushing into the 90s, I don't think, but I think it's enough of a classic. It's going to have a high enough score. I think considering yeah. everything over 85 to be like a serious high score. Oh, yeah. Whereas Zulu Dawn, I'm. I'm not gonna say it's a huge sequelizers like seventy percent drop or anything like that. Yeah. I think that's a bit extreme. It's not a Mulan to Mulan two. Sure. I will say forty-five for I'll say about a forty percent drop. Forty five for Zulu door. Okay, okay.
1: Your 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 score for Zulu is so close to where I was thinking of putting it.
0: <laughs> uh, that always frustrated. happens that, doesn't it yeah. uh,
1: so I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit higher I'm gonna say you do uh, prices
0: right rules and just get me by one <laughs>
1: I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go for a 93 for Zulu I, oh okay, uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that because I think you know we talked about you know the racial politics of it a lot but like as as a bit of filmmaking it really does hold up um and yeah, I, agree. I was surprised how quickly like I you know i went into this i was like oh god it's 2 hours and 15 minutes long like this is going to be a bit of a slog <laughs> um and it 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 runs along at a fair old clip once it gets going and you and yeah. and the nature of it you do stay engaged so i think even with contemporary reviews i think people looking back at it are going to kind of hopefully acknowledge that you know okay you know there's there's some dicey stuff we have to deal with but as a film it is a it is a good film mm. Um, Unlike The Dark Knight Rises!
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, I think... And I think Zulu Dawn would have been treated fairly well as well, actually. I think it's even less of a drop than Jack.
0: Oh, interesting. I
1: think, you know, the the, the fact that he's got so many big-name actors in it, even if they're not doing... Even if they're weirdly miscast Burt Lancaster, for example.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Burt Lancaster's so weird in that film. (laughs) Who thought bringing him on was a good idea to just be like yep yeah. he's British he'll be fine. Uh <laughs> um, no, no, not at all.
1: I'm going to say like a like a
0: 65. 65. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. Higher on both accounts then. I I will tell
2: you both this much. Um for Zulu neither of you got it right exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for Zulu Dawn neither of you got it right. So no no clean sweep. 86 for Jack, 93 for Tim. Tim is closer because the score was 96. Fuck me. Now, to be fair, I don't know if it's that high. I would agree with Tim's 93. But having said that, it is cinematically incredibly well made. Mm. And I actually think that's that's a good shout. Yeah, Um, fair enough. Okay, Zulu Dawn. Wow. 45 Jack, 65 Tim. Tim is closer because it is 57. Oof. Oof, that's a big 39 point drop. That is a big drop. Mm. And that's interesting considering, you know, if you think at the time, would this have been considered that much of a different film? It's like, well, yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's the hindsight. Yes, of course you can say it's bad. But at the time, even then, I think, again, people saying 15 years later, what did you bring to this? Why did you do this? Mm. This was a mess from the start. We've heard reports that it was a fucking disaster on set. Um, and this is what you've ended up with. Meh. Boring. We're yeah. watching Alien and Star Wars. Moving away. Um, <laughs> and also the fact that, you know, politically speaking at the time, the country is a bit different from 1964. So I think mentalities would have changed a bit in terms of what they were watching and yeah.
1: how a war film would have been done, etc. So I think, yeah, that's yeah. that makes sense. Fair enough. We mentioned uh, Star Wars a couple of times uh, as something that was kind of contemporary to Zulu Dawn. Sure. And the character of uh, Lieutenant Verica, played by Simon Ward... I was like, when when he first appeared on screen, I was like, that's a very specific type of beard and hairdo that's reminding me of something. (laughs) And it's fucking General Medin who we had as the the Sequelizers uh, logo for a while on our channel. That's right,
0: yeah. Um, Oh, brilliant. The the unsung mascot of Sequelizers for a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) Jesus Christ. It's that very
1: specific, like, late 70s beard.
0: Yeah, and the one that's completely fake is on. <laughs> it is just a fucking uh, crate. Bid stuck on in it. Yeah, yeah, like like felt stuck to his face.
2: Mm. No expressing for you, actor. The Death Star fans. Are... What's that? <laughs> I'm quite angry about this. So, it was my job to fix Zulu Dawn, and I just added the character of General Nadine from Star Wars uh, with the beard. <laughs> <laughs> And Please it's a good do. fix, I want to say. Um, and the role of the Zulus are played by a Death Star, because I don't want to humanize them. I just want to make them a big giant orb. No, yep. um, I've I've gone quite bold with this. Mm.
0: Um,
2: in I, the, this I, might I like, be, I feel like
0: we get a bold one every now and then. Every now sometimes and sometimes we play it safe. And and but even back in the day, we'd usually get one team would do mm, mm. the fairly safe, you know, fix the little problems in it, and then one would go like, "Fuck it, it's thirty years in the future and it's all gone mad and everybody's yeah. a robot." I'd be like, okay, yep, sure. Had a Jack, I... You just spoiled my Zulu Dawn's <laughs> birthday. I'm looking forward to a bold pitch here, Matthew. Excite me and surprise me. I'm not
2: gonna lie, I you say that. I had a, I considered an idea of time travel. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> fuck like, right
0: off, Matthew.
2: Um, because it's later you're like, I wonder Bill if I can't said send...
0: Zululand
2: Adventure. <laughs> I wonder if I can get away with a prequel if it's entirely a sequel, but at the last minute they travel back in time and then it happens before events. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah.
0: Problem solved. Um, I might devalue it in the season. We'll see. You mean like anyway. the 300 one where it's a prequel, uh, current... Oh, yeah. And, 300 and sequel, Rise all in yeah. One. yeah.
2: Yeah. A lie That's is what old. that is. Yeah. So, my fix to a prequel to Zulu Dawn, I've already kind of covered, you need a very different perspective. You need, and, and and once I came up with the idea of the director, everything fell into place. And I was like, oh shit, that's what we need. That's what this film needs. Shit. And then the suddenly the thing I was working on in terms of, because I know that I, I brought up on the history. and I was like, okay, well, we'll just, you just do that, I guess. It's not very <laughs> fun, but you just do that um, and make it a bit more interesting. And But then the truth is, it's like, how do I present this that isn't really boring? And then it's like, oh, hang on, hang on. I need a good, I need a director. When do I, and also then, when do I release this? 15 years later? Do I, like, three or four years later? Do I, what's the political climate at the time? And then I realised, nope, this is what I need. So, my film isn't called Zulu Dawn; it's called Zululand. Um, okay. Yep. The territory. I'm releasing it, and this is a weird one. Here we go. Christmas. <laughs> what? What? Why does that matter? Trust me, Maz. Christmas. 2020. <laughs> fucking hell,
0: Matthew. <gasps> because oh, I want no. people to actually see it in oh, the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your post post-pandemic. We would have just said 2020. land. Uh, the cinemas are closed.
2: <laughs> yes. Post, and again, I don't know at this point. We we're still in May, but you know, the fucking riotous mindset of the world, outraged and furious about, you know, racial equality and stuff. I was like, this is a good time to put this film out there. <laughs> I mean, I kind of <laughs> joked about it.
0: But you might be right. It might be the right time to do this kind of shit.
2: Like, film it last year because it was the right thing to do then as well and release it now. Um, And I needed somebody who would have a perspective on this. I needed some... It couldn't be just another white director. It couldn't be an American, but an American... Or or someone in America would be interesting, but I needed a British person. And I went for Steve McQueen. hmm director Mm. of Shame Mm -hmm. and 12 Years a Slave and that man is just an astonishingly good director he directed Hunger he is brilliant Mm -hmm. full fucking stop an astonishing director yep I don't want to be diminutive and say and he's black therefore it will be fine it's like don't be fucking stupid he's black
0: and he's British (laughs) yeah he's yeah.
2: he will have a unique perspective on the situation he will have grown up with you know uh, let's face it: in an environment that is hostile, because that's how this country unfortunately is, um, and to not acknowledge that is 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 wrong. So I think, in the same way that twelve year Twelve Years a Slave was made by a British person, part of me thought like, oh, do I get an American to make this? Do I get maybe like Barry Jenkins to make this? And I was like, no, I want a I kind of want a British person to make this, and I want it to be a point. Um, and in the same way that Chris Nolan is half American, half British kind of thing, and him making Dunkirk is interesting, that kind of regard, you know. So anyway, Steve McQueen. And then once I got Steve McQueen in place, everything fell into place very, very quickly. And that is why this will be our shortest pitch possibly ever. <laughs> After the solo pitch, which was intense and beefy and, and and sprawling, this is a very, very subdued one. Not because there's less to say, but because of the kind of director. And I think that's we we, what does a director bring to a story? And it's not saying there's less story here, but the things that will be focused on are going to be very nuanced in terms of the performance and the the presentation that us just sitting here describing it is like when Jack said the other week about presenting a big battle. You don't describe the big battle because it just becomes a bit
0: tedious and runs away with it. And then these five people run over here and attack those seven people. Mm -hmm. But oh no, they're outnumbered. So seven more people join the other side. Like, yeah, describing it note for note is very boring.
2: Yeah, so what you end up with is like long slow-hanging moments. I mean, some of the most distinct moments of 12 Years a Slave is, um, Chua for just being hung and then slowly in the background. Kids go back to normal play because it's a, a normal everyday experience for them. But that is a long, agonizing, brutal and brilliant
0: scene. But it's barely a sentence in terms of a pitch. So this is yeah. this is why this is going to be presented the way it is. To, to, to stick on Stephen McQueen for a couple more seconds. Yes. He is another Denis Villeneuve. Oh, he hasn't it. made a bad film. I mean, he's not made that many films, but every single one of them is fantastic. Yeah. And obviously you mentioned Hunger, Shame, and Twelve Years a Slave. They're kind of yeah. the, the three big ones. One I forgot existed, but ended up watching, I was early last year, I want to say, when it came out on, uh, it was whenever it came to like Now TV, uh it's mm-hmm. a weird thing, because I had a subscription to it due to Game of Thrones and stuff. Yeah, uh, The film Widows is oh, yeah. so good. So- surprisingly good i had no idea what it was about going into it as i like to do i went in blind i was like oh mm-hmm. it's the new steve mcqueen film it's fucking fantastic and an amazing yeah. ensemble cast underrated and steve mcqueen has done no wrong so yeah you you really mm. really can't go wrong with with a, a director of his caliber yeah. so excellent he, choice matt thank you
2: he's currently working on television stuff i think i can't remember what it's called i think it's small i want to say Smolax. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. yeah yeah so i know he's he is basically available to do this film. It works in time of release. It's very important. I think it'd be a very good story to tell now, because of the nature of you do have like 1917 and Dunkirk, and there is the attitude like let's just explore this 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 British history of things, but don't make it too jingoistic. Let's make it more about the nature of the soldiers and, and the conflict, etc. So I think this would be a very interesting take on something that needs to be talked about.
1: Yeah, and just just to jump back to widows briefly. You wanna talk about how Stephen Queen can do so much with so little. The the scene where uh, Colin Farrell is in the car and just drives mm. from one house oh, to another man. and you yeah. watch them and you, you watch the neighborhood transition from a place of wealth to a place of, you know, sort of destitution and poverty. Right. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. And that says so much about how how it just takes like a two minute car drive to go from one to another. Um, yeah and again like what you know what would you write for that that it's it's a sentence but it's such great <laughs> filmmaking
2: yeah, yeah absolutely there's some there's some things that you do visually and through the music and the medium of how it's presented and that doesn't come across in the pitch but hopefully it doesn't our pitch but we'll, mm. we'll see subsequently and i don't think it's unreasonable to say this everyone involved in this film will be a fantastic uh very prominent, strong British actor. And at the end of the day, I think they'd all jump on on the opportunity to be in this film. They'd be like, oh, are they available? So They'll fucking make themselves available. I think they'll all be very good. <laughs> so we're going to say a lot of names of individuals from history, and then we're going to explain who they are. So the king of the Zulus, King Quechueo, um, would be played by David Oyelowo. Now, I had considered doing the thing with Zulu. Do we get an actor who is, again, from... The area, from, from Zululand, basically. And you're like, I, I had to consider it, and I was really wanted to, but again, I wanted to also really get a British person's take on it. I, I, and it sounds like an arrogant thing to say, I guess, but I wanted someone to present it as like, this isn't, you know, a highly acclaimed, multi-award nominated and winning actor in this role. It is not just, ah, we've cast this guy. It's like, no, 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 no. We're giving this a a thing of importance and not dismissing it by saying we haven't cast someone who isn't an actor basically and that's not again that can that can sometimes go really 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 well i'm not dismissing or dismissing anything about the um the african film society in any way shape or form i just think oyelowo would bring a very very interesting presence and strength to it i think would be and also as much as i hate to say this in the inherent racism of the film industry you're going to need a big,
0: prominent black actor.
2: They can go, oh, that guy?
0: Yeah, get him.
2: And it needs yeah, so to be that backing.
0: To put that into perspective, I know Oiloa from... He was a bit part in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, He shows up in Lincoln, which you've already mentioned as well. But probably what he's most well-known for is playing, again... Relevant for the times, people. Mm. He played Martin Luther King <laughs> yeah. in Selma, so yes. yes, yeah, that that's kind of the the, the level we're talking about here. Um, Ayoloa is fantastic across the board. Yeah. Again, another example of a guy that I have never seen him do anything bad, and yeah, sign me up. He's fantastic. Mm. Nice. Next up, we have
2: uh, Sir Henry Bartle British toffs. Um, <laughs> well, and... one of the
1: architects, if not the architect of the invasion of Zululand.
2: Yeah, he, he was the the well, we'll get into who everyone is on the, yeah. the pitch, but he basically is is this uh very arrogant Englishman, basically. And I want someone with that kind of presence to be quite menacing and chewing your back teeth and don't talk to me, boy. That kind of thing. And to me, Jeremy fucking irons, especially mm. his performance most recently on television in Watchmen as mm. um I don't know how to say who he is. It actually might be a spoiler, so I won't say who his character actually is. I've
0: still but, not seen it, so thanks. For that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, the, but the point is that Jeremy Irons, um, I think, has that presence. And that venom. And that that just... The gravitas as well. Very yeah. much so. And I think that's kind of necessary, that he would command the people and just strike fucking fear in you. Like, we're going into Africa, boys. It's like, why? Because I bloody will say so. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, all right. Then I wanted somebody who is has has a history with 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 playing this idea of like what british people th- like to think they are like oh friendly and and you know polite but also in his later roles in life it's like but also quite scary and can be can be quite menacing if needs be and the idea that he's not actually your friend kind of thing i'm thinking about his t- his television performance recently and that's sir theophilus shepstone Fucking in england um mm. and i want that played by hugh grant
0: Oh, good old Hugh Grant. <laughs> Again, if
2: you cast this 10 years ago, like, what? Befuddling, like, oh, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so terribly sorry. Fucking bloody bugger. Um, Yeah, no, no. Hugh Grant of recent years <laughs> is very, very interesting. My wife hates Hugh Grant, and I showed Really? Her, she does. I don't know. I think it's just literally growing up in the 90s with this, you know, fop haired
0: idiot. Oh, isn't he lovely? <laughs> oh, he so be, he's so He's British. a housewife's favourite, is Hugh Grant.
2: It is interesting because I showed her uh, Pirates Adventure with Scientists, which I'm so, so disappointed did get more respect and um, exposure and stuff because it was really funny and is a really good animated f- film. And on television recently he was in a very english scandal as jeremy thorpe and he got a lot of acclaim for that for being this unscrupulous politician and it's like this guy we're expecting to be like dancing around as the prime minister mm. in love actually oh he's a bit of a dish it's like fuck off but he's actually a very good actor and i think especially his his, his political leanings and mindset he would jump at the chance to be in this i think and uh i think he could do quite an. Inter- he's only for a little bit of a little mm. film but you know then we have Sir Michael Hicks Beach, and going back to the opening of this season, I wanted someone a little bit fucking unhinged. Um, <laughs> and I chose Sean Harris.
0: You want lots um, of indecipherable face tattoos, is what you're telling me. This. Yes. <laughs> um, because and a big
1: bushy beard.
0: <laughs> a great big bushy beard.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I went with Harris because he is fantastic as an actor he's genuinely amazing and he is utterly fucking terrifying i always maintain okay very strange simple digression here on my stag do oh here we go yeah okay you bumped into I, sean harris and he beat the shit out <laughs> i felt like it maybe yeah no one of, one of the events of my stag do was we went to this like sort of um wolfman survival thing and it was the idea we all went and i thought this would be fun it'd be a bit silly like a paintball exercise, effectively, or a, or a BB gun thing, it'd be fun. And they dress up as zombies and all oh, come at you, and you do riot shields. They exist, but this one was different. <laughs> this one nearly killed us um, <laughs> because they're just just army boys, like off off day of being in the army, um, and they just you know it's an extra bit of cash doing it on the side. And they were holding back, giving us maybe five or ten percent, and we were getting. Chucked around the room. Tim, Tim, Tim was there, yeah. and it was it was really good fun. We really enjoyed it, but there was the fi- that it was the mindset I've always had as an Irishman, or, or again, someone with a big Irish history to me, and, and being half of both is the awareness and understanding of the people who are protecting you are terrifying when you're on the other end of it, mm. and you would not want to oppose them or be against them. And, I res- and it's the typical thing. I do respect. Uh, the institution, as it—that's well, the right word—but the, the 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 soldiers themselves, because they are doing an awful, horrible, very difficult job. But you know, will not think things off. But the the things they're called to do isn't fucking nice. To misquote Wolverine, um, <laughs> but um, it, it, it's one of those things where you think you need to portray this. You need to show people when an opposition arrived, like, oh, those brave British boys. Yes, yes, that's fine. But you need to show also that the people were fucking terrifying. And I think Harris can show that to an audience. That these people, the British soldiers and the British commanders and all that sort of stuff, and the people who to in charge of orchestrating these things, um, were ultimately very terrifying. At the same time, I should also point out that when you come back to the actual pitch itself, you're like, yeah, but he doesn't play that kind of character, Matt, in your script. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah but I want to convey it. I want it to be there. I want that thing. It's something you know, you say, I'm going to cast a guy because he's terrifying and scary and big and burly, but you don't have him doing anything physically scary. It's like, yeah, but I want you to know about it subconsciously deep down. It's just, it's, it's, it's directorial priming, mm. as it were. Um, and that's kind of a thing. Anyway, moving on. Lord Chelmsford. So Lord Chelmsford, being in a feat sort of toff, um, was played by Peter O'Toole. And he's actually good casting He does actually represent and bring out that sort of uh, hello um but at the same time him being in Lawrence of Arabia he was much better suited to that character than he was maybe to this character because while he brings out those things he i don't know if he was the right person for that role at that time who knows our version is going to be played by pip torrens pip torrens is an he's one of those actors either you know him or you straight up fucking don't know him <laughs> He's had a bit of a career as a background character, if I'm honest. He's been in a lot of things and mostly hidden away. There are a few places people go, oh, let's go in sort of reverse order. He is one of the first order officers in Force Awakens, which isn't very much to say, cause it's, but that it should establish to you immediately the kind of person he is. <laughs> um, and the two TV roles that specifically that led me to him being cast in this was in... Preacher, he plays Hair Star. That's where I know him from most prominently. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is very over the top, very silly, ridiculous Nazi. Literally rivalry. has a
0: penis for a head.
2: Yeah. It's yep. Just just psychotic individual. Very, yep. very ridiculous. Um, uncompromising. Neo-Nazi nutter. Exactly. Yep. And I want that kind of malicious evil. That that really like, oh, this guy is a fucking monster. But the other version, which other people might know him for, is he plays the role of Tommy lassells in The Crown, which is uh, I don't know what the official title is. He's like the um, the secretary to the the private secretaries of the Queen and the King and all that sort of stuff in this yeah, country. Private
0: secretary is the right title. Yeah, yeah,
2: right. and effectively, he's very stern, always conscious of his position and the nature of the country. It's not he's not there to make friends. He's there to do his what he leaves his role, his duty, his is so on and so forth is calling etc and that's fine that makes sense and i think that presence that that stern stiff upper lip and i'm gonna talk at you through the side of my mouth and know full well i would happily kill you <laughs> i don't care about you that that kind of fucking awful dismissive reserve that is let's face it quite associated with that that ruling class style british isms and i think that would come across really nicely on screen and the final bit of major casting is non-so and zonzi Who, again, is the kind of guy who you may have seen in multiple things. He's going to be playing the role of General Unchingweo Corsa. He has been in a lot of features and a lot of bits and pieces. So people might know him. I first think I recognized him in in, in a biography about Cass Pennant. God, he was a sergeant in Ender's game. He was in The Grey. He was in Cinderella as the Captain of the Guards. What I instantly
0: recognized him from was being Zarenzo and Daxus in Game of Thrones. The ah, big, they, the big guy in the, uh, the slave trader is he, or the yeah, or the, he's, the guy. Uh, well, the, yes. one the, yeah, one of the one of the slavers in uh, Essos. Yeah, yeah that exactly. Meets with Daenerys and all that lot. He's yeah.
1: in the yeah, very weird TV series Zoo. It's it's about all the animals go crazy. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. Um, But he's the kind of individual who's turned up in quite a few things and he is quite imposing. He is tall and broad. Exactly. And I think for a general in an army, especially, he has that presence. He has that commanding presence. And I think that's that's kind of necessary. There is this assumption, uh, which is inherent, you know, racism, that because when we were kids and Ethiopia and Africa there were famines; people were starving. We just always assume every African must
0: be really thin, and it's just hmm. this awful, emaciated kind of like exactly.
2: Yeah. And it's not like a which is on all the thing.
0: adverts for all the charities and stuff precisely. Like that. that's, the, that's the the only real like glimpse into African life and African culture that is prevalent in especially in things like the BBC and the British media and all that kind of stuff. Precisely. It's like, oh, look at all the starving kids in Africa. They mm. don't have a culture or a society to help them, so we need to chip in and do Red Nose Day and all that kind of shit. Uh, yeah, that's really our only look into that kind of... Those people. Yeah, I hadn't really seen anything else.
2: <laughs> no, and that, and that's the point. And it's not... It's I don't blame people for that assumption in a way. I just It's just unfortunate lack of understanding ignorance just because of what we've been shown. That's the nature of... The, the white picket fence. This is what you're shown of the outside world, therefore that's what that is. Um, until you, you know, either go there yourself, or alternatively, you meet people from different cultures, or whatever. You know, that kind of becoming a fucking adult, basically. But the point is that Koza, there's only a couple of pictures of him in, in actual existence. And he's a big, fat fucking guy. He's just this <laughs> dude, and you think, oh, he's, he's like, well, of course he would be. He was like, a very high prominent position in this culture. He would be well fed. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like a silly thing to say, but so yes, and also he's a warrior. He would be someone of uh, physical prowess. Mm. And and then it sounds like a, these things feel like they're all sort of moot points, small bits and pieces, but it's like, these are things we need to quietly address before we get into the script. So anyway, that's partly why this guy has been brought into the film, as well as obviously the fact that he is a fantastic actor. And I think he would do a really interesting per- performance. I think him and Oyelowo, I think that'd be very, 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 very powerful. Anyway, enough prattling on. this is my pitch for Zululand. 1877. Quechueyo, king of the Zulu nation, is sat opposite Sir Theopolis Shepston in silence. This shot would go on for like fucking three minutes. Um, (laughs) Over the top of this tense silence, a voiceover explains that the British Empire has had colonies in South Africa for 60 years as part of the Anglo-Dutch Treaty. The Empire expanded deep into Africa, absorbing territory and control of various countries, which then triggered a diamond rush in the 1860s. Tensions grew along the borderlands, but Shepston and Quechueyo had an agreement to honour their independence. Now, I might actually, I'm not going to lie, part of me is like, do I do an over, a voiceover? Or would I do a thing where it's literally, or, or more accurately, would McQueen do a thing where it's these just very slow on-screen text that comes up over the silence? So I'm not sure which one is, that's why I haven't casted an narrator. Interesting,
0: interesting. But, I hadn't imagined a array. I imagined... Slow, still shots, like you said, that three minute of just mm. hovering there. But how, yeah, how do you convey that information? Yeah, mm. Interesting. Yeah. so Henry Bartle Frere is appointed High Commissioner of Southern Africa and is hosting a celebration in his honour. Because of of course he is sandwiches, cucumbers, <laughs> cucumber sandwiches. During the party, he arrogantly explains to those in attendance that the success of an act in Canada ten years prior could easily be applied to the African nations. An attendee scoffs at this telling Frere that he is familiar with the Canada Confederation and it is not a model that can simply be dropped onto Africa. The individual goes further and adds that the presence of independent states would lead to military action, acting as a prelude to war. Infuriated by this, Frere makes a scene and storms off. We jump back to the
1: first scene, as Shepstone and Chechwayo sat opposite each other. Shepstone explains that since he has taken control of the Boers, he has seen evidence that supports their dispute. When prompted... Shepstone refuses to produce said evidence. After a long pause, Chetshwayo calmly states that he has been betrayed by a man he believed to be an ally. The next scene details Shepstone writing to Lord Carnarvon, detailing the Zulu as a hostile threat, and his previous glowing reports are the results of falsehoods and cunning deception. 1878.
2: Chetshwayo presides over a wedding. The atmosphere is joyous and upbeat, in stark contrast to what we've seen thus far. There are several visual similarities and cues between this and the earlier feast in Freyr's mansion. The general mood shifts when an emissary arrives with a 13-point ultimatum from Freyr, stating that the Kingdom of Zululand must disband his army, the release of several captives from raids, allow missionaries to enter their land, accept British rule, and pay reparations in the form of cattle for insult given, all within 30 days.
0: Because we're British, don't you know?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, we've just told you what to do. We gave you 30 days. What's the bloody problem? Yeah, what's the bloody problem? Exactly what, what? Fuck you, now. Knowing this is an impossible ask, and that some of the accusations laid at their feet are actually unfounded, such as the handful of border raids and the salvaging of muskets, etc., Quechua mournfully retires from the festivities. We're about maybe f- 50 minutes into this film. <laughs> this two hour man.
0: And seemingly nothing has happened, but unlike the other film, it would be fucking captivating. Freyre confides with his staff that the Empire would never have agreed to an invasion into a sovereign nation, despite the various claims to invalidate the legitimacy of Ketchweo's rule, so, delayed the dispatch to London to ensure that the time limit and his ultimatum would have lapsed before a response could be issued. At the same time, Sir Michael Hicks Beach, Secretary of the State for the Colonies, writes two letters. One to Freyja, detailing that he has entered the British Empire into a state that has not had sufficient time to debate in Parliament. The second is to the Prime Minister, outlining his shame that Frere has simply acted without approval, falling back on excuse. I could not really control him without a telegraph. I feel it is as likely as not that he is at war with the Zulus at the present moment.
2: Which is an actual excerpt of a thing from history. Actual quote,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. 1879. Troops led by Lord Chelmsford march into Zululand. Through idle conversation, we learn that this is not sanctioned by the British government, but they will all be heroes. The armed force crosses Buffalo River at Rourke's Drift. The troops arrive at Islundwana and make camp for the night. Chelmsford is advised that the Zulu warriors are likely close by, and they should establish defensive perimeters. Chelmsford dismisses this, arrogantly blustering about the might of the British army.
2: The following morning in Koza. Kachweya's commanding general, with an army of 20,000 plus men, split Chelmsford's forces and attack the camp. The assault is chaotic, lengthy, and brutal.
0: In the aftermath. Described in less than a sentence. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that's also half an <laughs> that's hour. That's the thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. In the aftermath, Chelmsford sounds the retreat with what little forces he has left, leaving the supplies, weapons, ammunition to be seized by Koza's troop. Emboldened by this victory, a young Zulu warrior says they should press on and run the British out of Africa. Koza counters this, and is said it is not the king's wishes. Despite this, the warrior spreads the word to take a group of 4,000 men and continue this fight, as the majority of the Zulu army begins their retreat we revealed that several thousand soldiers are making their way towards Rourke's Drift. Mm. And again, it's a very short pitch, but it's three years of stuff and it's going to be a very slow <laughs> burn, and I think under a lot of different directors it wouldn't fucking work under someone like Terrence Malick or 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 Steve McQueen or something I, th- I think it's quite easy to get a lot of material out of a lot of silence mm. and a lot of just background milling I think it'd be very very interesting
0: yeah it was interesting that you said that opening scene of Shepstone and King Chetweo just sat opposite each other I was like Yep, that's exactly how I picture when I first read your pitch. That is exactly how I imagine it. This still image of the two of them just not even glaring at each other, but almost just like maybe they're having a meal or something and they're just like completely fucking ignoring each other and just...
2: Well, that's the kind of the mindset. I wanted to say you opening shot is King Cheshweo, just to point out that this isn't just an English story.
0: That's an important thing to establish as well. That differentiates it from Zulu Dawn in that way as well, doesn't it? Whereas you we said it's important to tell the other side and i think you balanced it quite well and you get the kind of you know you see both sides which is a thing we don't often see in this kind of historical epic historical drama how you want to say Mm -hmm. i feel like this is less of a of a war epic and more of a kind of drama not necessarily a lincolny kind of way but it's a bit more of a it's a bit more of a, a kind of a historical drama led kind of thing and i can imagine the cast you have playing into that very well, they've all kind of got in their own ways. have got different, but you mentioned like, um, uh, Pip Torrens in the crown, for example, that's Mm. the perfect example of that kind of thing where you've got that tension between certain characters and it's all in what's said and even more so in what's left unsaid between characters and building tension in that way. I think a lot of the performances would work really well and kind of bounce off for each other in that way. Um, yeah, my my first kind of question before yes. I hand it over to Tim is how historically accurate is this? Do you know how how much of this kind of thing happened mm. compared compared to how what they portrayed in Zulu Dawn? Mm. How how much of this is historically accurate in that in relevance to what happened in Zulu?
2: So the arrogant part of me is like, well, all of it, dear boy, all of it. <laughs> um, but No, of course not. <laughs> um, the truth is that I have literally the way I wrote the pitch initially was to write the events as they happened. Just just the events, free of actual colour and 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 personality and and flavor text as it were.
0: Well and we mentioned you'd be making a documentary. Like
2: <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then said, right, what's important, what isn't? And I thought, well, if I'm honest with you, it's actually really interesting, all of it. Hence why I put exact excerpts and quotes. Um the wedding is actually there. That's historically true. These guys meeting Shepstone and, and Kesweo, the whole difference between those two, the fact that the nature of the ultimatum, the 13 point, wherever it was, that kind of stuff is all factually correct as far as, you know, as recorded, obviously, as much as we can understand these things to be. Beach's letter to both sides uh, of, of of government saying, he's as far as I know, he's already in combat. It's already fucking mm. happening right now. The things that aren't are just small things like um, the party Frere would have held and... The fact that he would have been confronted by an attendee saying, this is ridiculous, this wouldn't work. I don't think that's historically accurate. Him saying that, oh, we did it in Canada, it would be fine. That's true. That's exactly yeah, what yep, they did it in Africa. Yep. But yeah, all that history is, is correct. So the events in that regard, yes. And also that's why I decided to go with, I keep saying go with Stephen Queen, but it's important to, to reiterate that point because the, the, the nature of, if you take 12 Years of Slave, for example, um, it is based on a historical account with embellishments and things and stories added to make it more uh, not engaging, I think that's very much the wrong word, but um, more a film, shall we say, uh, and less a documentary. So I think, yes, I think if anything would be different, it would be the way the battle might be shown um, as they cross over Buffalo River. Um, I think that might be more something you'd have to do in a different manner. It would be shot in a way... Because if we we see like in widows, for example, how he shoots action, um, it wouldn't be the kind of thing we'd expect. Possibly, I think it'd be very interesting and very different. Um, And let's face it, it probably wouldn't be the entire thing we just described about the nineteen sixties filmmaking style of countless extras lined up. There would be an element of CGI to it because you'd have to because that's the practical nature of how films are made these days. That kind of thing. I don't know that for an absolute guarantee, but yeah. In terms of the historical accuracy, and I'm sure I'm sure there are people who actually understand the history with much more. Um, in-depth knowledge, but to my understanding, the majority of it is literally this is what happened, and I tried to make it. Um, I don't think I actively try to make anyone new uh, more sympathetic than others. Just the idea of the it, it just highlights. Oh, like I said,
0: I think you balance that quite well, mm, actually. Yeah,
2: it highlights there are self-serving mindsets when it comes to the English side of like, well, we want to progress here, we want to be successful, we want to do this. I want. I see this as the new colonies, like we do with Canada. I see this being the new thing, and so on and so forth there's the dissent from our side saying he's doing this uh shepstone again being what would consider initially an ally it's like well you we we, we had an agreement you know we we, we were seeing eye to eye mm-hmm. it's like yeah but i need to get this done that kind of awful and then result. he dances out of the room <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> sees a picture of maggie thatcher from the future and says hello you saucy minx or whatever the fuck it was um <laughs> but i think that's kind of the point it's it, and even even with the with the Zulu nation, it does. I don't think there's anything that's necessary. The idea that it's like you know the generals like we did it. Let's go back, and it's like no, we should carry on, run them out of Africa. They don't belong here. It's like that's not the orders of the king. Even if and that's why one put like uh, non and in there, for example. I want him to be like I agree with you. I think we should do this. We definitely need to run them out, but we're not those people. We don't act on our own. We do. We have a structure and all that kind of thing. And then so you know with this this rogue group goes off on their own. So yes, in terms of accuracy, I would like to think mostly yes, but in truth, nobody can actually fucking know. And I'm sure there would be cries either way. They'd be like, oh, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't show this. Or there was one person who was really important, that kind of shit, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a really solid pitch. And, you know, it's, it's a really tough win. When you're going for something that is so dependent on mood and the directorial input, you know, it it can be tricky, but I think just knowing that the kind of filmmaking that, you know, and especially as his only kind of period piece, Twelve Years a Slave, yeah. um, you know, is the is the obvious comparison point rather than something like, you know, Widows, which is, you know, contemporary mm. crime thriller. Um sure. But you can see in, in all of his films, like McQueen just has this very contemplative deliberate filmmaking style and i think mm. seeing him track these tensions building over multiple years mm-hmm. would be you know really fascinating um i think the 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 the, the thing i would like to see um mm-hmm. is pa- possibly more uh, on the like the bor settlers who were already there, yes. um, and and just kind of uh, a little bit more, uh, as much as this is kind of a conflict between leaders of nations um, yeah. or, or or kind of high up people in the in those kind of organisations um, and structures, like mm-hmm. a little bit more of a a face on the ground of kind of what what that tension looked like. Yeah, between you know, uh, uh, when when you are kind of on that borderland, you know, I think that McQueen could do an excellent job with this. Like, mm. and and I would be fascinated to see what what he did to that, and and what all of the actors that you've mentioned, who I think the casting is is pretty much spot on. Um,
0: I'm su- agreed. Yeah,
1: I'm surprised you didn't uh, stick Fassbender in there. Uh, that's
0: this is the thing. This is the thing. I was going to joke about that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I actually had considered it because. Um, obviously, Fastbender is a prominent part of McQueen's career, and I think that it, he's, he's been in all his films by Widows. Um, yeah. And I had definitely considered him playing a minor role as the person attending the party, um, Frere's party, who counteracts him. Uh, he's the guy that stands
0: <laughs> up to Frere. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. I also like make, that- make
1: up for being a horrible racist in 12 years, a slave.
2: <laughs> and a dirty sex pest um, But yes, I, I also wanted the idea I, I thought about initially About, as I'm going fucking fictional Have him being Let's face it, probably anachronistically But Irish Because um, mm. you had obviously Irish lords and things like that at the time as well um, And the idea that It would add to Frere's insult to the thing Like, listen here, boyo That kind mm. of, sort of like, ooh mm. So he wouldn't pay a major, but I think it would be nice to put him in there In, in that capacity um, There's a bit of that
1: in in Zulu Dawn, anyway, isn't there? There's a yes. Uh, uh, they slag off and one of the Irish people at one point.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's just the nature of the the situation. Type. So I had considered that. I mean, and um, you know, it's interesting bringing Fast better up because a lot of the inspiration, in a weird way, with the opening scene, um, McQueen's first from Hunger, really hard to get a hold of in this country. My Blu-ray is German. Um, <laughs> huh. um, so I,
0: saw, I saw it in the cinema.
1: Yeah. I, would, yeah. I, I wonder why Britain wouldn't want to see the film about hmm. you know how awful they treated the Irish. Uh, in yeah. Way, 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 way back in the 90s. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Shout out to Cinema City in Norwich. Oh, Who yeah. did the screening of that that I went to. It usually, usually
2: the best place to see anything independent is, in, in, yeah, in City is, is Cinema City. I agree entirely. Um, so in in... And, and this is the nature of the pacing as well, because one could argue from the picture alone that we're like, oh, that's actually really all over the place. Is that going to be right? like this long standoff followed by this battle at the end? It's like, no, that'll be fine. And I can tell you what's going to be fine. Hunger. Hunger's like, obviously, you know, it's, it's astonishingly good film about, uh, well, it, it plays up with a lot of things, but the opening thing, like Michael Fassbender's character, Bobby Sands, doesn't actually turn up for a long time in the film. And it's about protest strikes of uh, uh, people who are IRA members and things in, in Northern Ireland in an English prison and the treatment was terrible and they would paint the walls with shit um, and just refuse to eat, refuse to do anything. And it was all just, you know, basically peaceful protest. In addition to, you know, I'm not going to get on the side of, like, you know, the nature of terrorism and stuff, we're not going to that, but... Because the IRA did fucking awful things, I'm not going to start trying to defend the IRA. But the nature of that, how they were they were treated as prisoners, was was atrocious. And then you know the British were like, right, hose down the walls, clean this all up, make it all again, fix all the beds. And then the second they got back in the cells again, the Irish would just trash it because it's like, nope, nope, not getting used, nope, that's not right. And then in the middle of the film, there's a like 17 or 20 minute shot, one single shot, uninterrupted, two, just, just literally like I described with with uh, and Shepstone. Two opposing forces. One's Bobby Sands, played by Michael Fassbender, and one's Father Moran, uh, I want to say, played by Liam Cunningham. And they just have a conversation. 20 minutes. Just hangs it's there. A, it's
0: an entire scene. It's crazy. Fucking crazy. Yeah.
2: And then the film carries on. But it has such payoff. It's so good. And that's kind of the point. If you say, okay, what are we going to do? This film's really discordant and chaotic. And you've got the cells. It cuts back and forth between time lapses and things, there's so many different points the, the, you know, they come in and disrupt them so they beat the shit out of them, and then the corridors and they're being stripped hosed down and thrashing and things, and there's a really still scene where a priest has a cigarette with a guy and this is, oh yeah, I'm good, how are you? Oh, I'm not bad at all, yeah, how's your mother, yeah, great and they just talk sort of su- uh, subtle buried politics, and then go back to the madness it's fucking brilliant it's, it's just genius cinema and, and McQueen, as, as, as Jack said earlier McQueen is a villeneuve nerve Man's done no wrong, honestly yep, um, and I would love to see him do something with this. I really would um and I think fastbender in there, yeah, okay, I, we could we could sling him in there i think
1: i think I think you know, and I think having it be a contemporary film, you know, something literally made this year, mm. like.
0: I don't think... In the future, no less. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Post-contemporary. It'd be
1: be probably in post-production now.
0: It would. It'd be made
1: at this point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) It's a shame that we don't have more films that are confronting our kind of imperialist past because because it's not something that we're taught in schools. It's it's not even that it's seen as something that's shameful, I don't think, Uh, in the general consciousness. I think it's just not thought of at all.
0: Like, agreed You know, yep.
1: I think yep. I think it's
0: so buried deep down we just kind of ignore it. I think it I think point. if
1: you I think if uh, there's a lot of people who if you told them about some of the shit that Britain has done, uh mm. they would they would just be baffled about by it and not have heard of it ever. Um and I think that looking at where our country is politically, it would be very good to have a film like this coming out now and addressing some of those things.
2: Mm. I I genuinely believe um I genuinely believe that as as Britain continues along the way of things, I think we are going to get more and more and more of this. I think we are going to get um uh, more representation, more history, more hang on, bit not, not revisionist, but just going back and saying the, the whitewashing you think of how history is isn't how it is. And I remember going to museums as a kid and uh absorbing all this stuff, being exposed to like, oh yeah, Napoleon was a dickhead. It's like, yeah, he was a twat, but we would have done it if we could. Yeah, and that's mm. the thing. Every time we c- accuse countries of crimes,
0: we suddenly jump up on our high horse and like, yeah. well, like, yeah. The fact that exactly. I exactly uh, the
2: the 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 foreign occupation of Africa that the British effectively invented concentration camps, and you're like, I'm sorry, wait, what? Because we it, it, to this day a lot of a lot of older people still go, oh, those bloody Germans, World mm-hmm. War II, right? And it's like, first of all. You nor I fought in World War II. Hmm. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, no, we did. Yeah, we well, did. We did. Yeah, I, I did. The boys did. Yeah, then beautiful. And then fuck again, off. I'm not discrediting the service of British servicemen and soldiers and Christ, obviously, for
0: fuck's sake. I'm no, discrediting the Twats. idiots and and faux patriots who try to claim yes. that they had any involvement in them, and then that and the, as if their support fucking matters for a thing that happened 70 yeah. years ago. Piss That's off.
2: Yeah, that, that's where it gets frustrating. Um, and that's and the thing is, the more you watch films from abroad, the more you realise, we're
0: the bad guys of history! Um, <laughs> There's a thing called the Empire. Yeah, You know, like the Empire in <laughs> Star Wars, which is the bad guys. It's go and, go and watch the Mitchell and Webb Are We The Bad Guys sketch, oh, because please. it's fucking perfect. We had Skullsland! <laughs>
2: "'Hans, are we the baddies?' <laughs> um, it, it is, it, it's true, because every history of every culture has always come down to the nation as itself doing important and interesting things and progressing technology, etc., etc. There are also travesties being committed both on an institutional huge level and an individual level. And that is true of every fucking nation. I once had a thing where I was like, I wonder if, if I had a choice. If I was like, I would like to be this nation. I would be these people. They're the ones who are like perfect. Nothing's wrong with them. They don't know nothing bad, no stains in their history. They're fucking immaculate. There aren't any. There are mm-hmm. There are none because humans exist. And then went to another film, which was uh, Saira, which I actually do like. That's a good film. Uh, by Surin That's again, the idea of, uh, uh, of of the occupation of India. And fuck me, the we are the worst people. And I know that it's obviously sometimes heightened, sometimes exaggerated and so on and so forth, but we're an empirical island nation. We went out and just kind of conquered everybody and the people who were conquered, turns out they weren't fucking happy about it. And the British always... And the thing is, but the thing is our generation and, and the generation above us aren't told about these things. We don't talk about these things. Um, but again, the more you watch films from abroad, and by abroad I mean outside of... Because that's why I say America doesn't give a fuck. America always, well not always, but used to paint Britain as a bad guy quite easily because, you know, the redcoats are coming. Um, but if you go to, I say, like Indian cinema and African cinema, and Australian cinema, and other countries where we've been around, um, it's always like, oh, we were shit. But of course, all you get in the... And, and, and to be fair, we should point out, the English were also shit to the English. That's why Dickensian literature fucking exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were still pissing on the poor and everyone else here as well. It was They were just shit to everybody. It's just how unfortunate it was. Um, but to not acknowledge that, to not say that, um, uh, that these things happened is is kind of wrong. So... Bit of a rant there, but I think I needed to bring it up because the first two pictures of the season for me was a Zack Snyder war film and a Steve McQueen war <laughs> film, <laughs> both of which hinged on the director's vision of things. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. That's true. And they're both like historical, historical, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that I, hadn't, I hadn't really considered about that, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear some, some of the future pictures of, mm. of man's war films <laughs> because good, good lord, good so,
2: lord. Anything else you guys want to bring in, change, shift questions? Any problems?
0: No, I had I had a note about Fassbender, wondering whether like you <laughs> had considered him for the Sean Harris role, as I can imagine him being that yeah. kind of super intense kind of. I think you're right. It's yeah, a good shout as well. Yeah. Um, instantly when when you had cast Sean Harris and I saw Steve McQueen, I was like, right, but where's Fassbender? So, <laughs> <laughs> but I actually really like the idea of having him be the guy to stand up to Freya at the party, mm-hmm. you just get like. You know, forty seconds of fast spinner and that's all you need, kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> kinda like idea. with
2: the, the the weasley role that uh Cumberbatch plays in uh in Slave. Slave, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And a very, very similar note. Mm.
1: I, I I had a, a brief question. Sure. I'm ready. Uh, uh, do you have any idea for score?
0: Ooh. Yes, I have a lot of ideas, unfortunately. Um do we have another 45 minutes for Matt to discuss his <laughs> potential score? <laughs> no, we do not. <laughs> well,
2: buckle the fuck up, lads. Yeah, exactly. So when, when I was watching 12 Years a Slave, I was like, lots of... Blah. It's like, sounds a bit like uh, Hans Zimmer. That's a weird choice. Oh, fuck, it is Hans Zimmer. Oh, God. It is Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Um, and that's that's interesting. I don't I don't think Zimmer's appropriate for this, if I'm honest. <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> um <laughs> I agree.
0: Because it, it's Zimmer and Widows as well. That's those. correct. Again, That's correct. A weird choice. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay.
2: I mm. I think if I'm honest, Jack might appreciate this. I would go with Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. Ooh, nice. Who have worked on a lot of things collectively together? Annihilation, Ex Machina, that kind mm. of thing. Uh, the Ben Wheatley film Free Fire. Yep. Their work has mostly a bit been with Ben Wheatley and Alex Garland. And I'm like, well good get me that tense yep. uncomfortable Sounds long good. hanging yep. yep my only other choice would have been actually probably johnny greenwood but he works a lot with paul ws no no paul thomas anderson um
0: and he scored there will be blood the, the and, other paul anderson yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell he did the score for all the resident evil movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> he hummed the theme tune did all the all the new metal we needed for the past 15 years
2: now yeah he worked on There Will Be Blood and The Master and Phantom Thread and stuff and That makes a lot
0: more sense. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and I think that sort of just general tones are all quite interesting and he on You Were Never Really Here for example and we need to talk about Kevin that underlying tension and building ominousness of like where the f- Fuck is this going It can't be good So I think those two Would be Those two groups I should say Would be a usual one. And based on the directors They work with I think that would be Entirely likely Although they are White dudes So maybe I would also Like just a random Unknown South African Film composer Who might be just More appropriately
0: interesting Awesome Well on that note Well done, Matthew, for taking your film and shoving it 56 years into the future (laughs) 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 and and doing a prequel. It's an interesting one because I think a lot of people might even go into this film not knowing the original. And I think Mm. that'd be an interesting way of like they experience Zululand completely fresh and not knowing. Because if we hadn't have done this pitch and doing this show and this film was real I would totally go into this not knowing necessarily mm. that it was a Zulu prequel, yeah. or you know having that kind of not actually baggage, but having the knowledge that goes with it and things like that. So I think it's an interesting uh, way to bring it into yeah. contemporary audiences, audiences, and having people who know the original and love it as the classic that it is going in and uh, going in with kind of a uh, not, I don't know an, an idea of what to expect, and then being surprised with yeah. It's one of the easier tasks, because because it's based on the historical events,
2: unlike a prequel, like, where the fuck do we go with this? It's like, well, history tells me there. That's where yeah, it went with yeah. it. Just do that. And you could also, because of that, have both of them as complete standalone films. You wouldn't necessarily yeah. need to go back and watch Zulu. You wouldn't have to see Zulu in the first place. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, if anybody else has any ideas for Zulu prequels, I don't know why you would, unless you're doing a <laughs> podcast about it.
2: <laughs> I told you, 50 you can... years in the future, and you t- travel back at the end, and it starts at exactly. rock's drift
0: exactly
1: gotta get this horse good up
0: lord. to 88 miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> good lord no thank you that's a mashup we do not need in no. our lives. <laughs> but if you have any ideas any other suggestions you can hit, of course hit us up on social media we are sequelizers on twitter, instagram, facebook and you can also email us sequelizers at gmail.com is the place to send it to if you have any questions, suggestions, ideas, that kind of stuff. Any predictions for future episodes? We'll have probably already recorded them, but <laughs> why not send us send us your predictions and suggestions? We've uh, got a hell of a lot more prequels to get through for the rest of the season, so we haven't had could... complaints or cease and desist yet. So that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, we're off to a good start. I mean, we're probably we got, failing as a had... podcast,
2: but yeah, <laughs> mm,
0: true. Is that is that one of those uh, you know you've made it when moments? Where yeah, you're probably. Gonna... Yeah which I, I had for a previous podcast where I got a, really? an angry, an email through SoundCloud from David Hasselhoff's legal team. What? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a thing. So, uh, so we can expect you... from Jamie Kennedy pretty soon. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's our equivalent. <laughs> I've annoyed David Hasselhoff and I've annoyed Jamie Kennedy in my, I don't know, vendetta against Hollywood. <laughs> Matthew, how can they contact you? S-T-O-G-H-Z, Stogs.
2: On the various social medias, Twitter and Instagram. There's also the Sequelizers Discord. I'm
0: on there, lingering around, also known as Stogs on there. The link for that is in our pinned tweet on Twitter, if you need a link and an invite link to our Discord server. If you want to read the reviews
2: I've written, the redrighthand.co.uk, and uh, if you want to see the films I'm making on the short series and things and, and uh, etc. they're at cheesement.com. Tim, you
1: beautiful bastard.
2: <laughs>
1: Where are you? Uh you can find me on Twitter at trivia underscore lad. Um I uh post about a lot of stuff. I mean today it's mostly just been uh despairing of the world uh and oh, can story, yeah. things. Jesus. But uh it's not always depressing. Um so uh yeah, anything that I'm doing, whether that is uh I sometimes write about comics or uh sometimes I'll just be like, I don't know, posting what I've been eating that day. Uh, but, yeah, that's the best place to follow me. Um, and, uh, yeah, Discord as well. Uh, I'll second that recommendation because we've got a really nice little community that's uh, built there and a uh, lot of fun things to discuss uh, on, on the board.
0: Jack? I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Not Quibby. I, I hasten to add, but everything else. I'm still running with that joke. It's about how unfunny it is. Um, I don't have, well, so I, don't have, I don't have a Snapchat anymore, I don't think, but I don't think that's not, I think that's a thing anymore. I'm not Snapchat's probably a thing for perverts. Yeah, yeah, apparently not. Um, but yeah, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. You can come and check me out, whatever I'm doing, recording, writing, playing, etc., all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty active in the discord channel as well. All the, all the We recently did a restructuring for the new season. Mm-hmm. You can come and discuss specific season stuff. You can come and discuss different topics and all kinds of weird and wonderful things. And uh, yeah, if you would like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash And there are some lovely rewards and various tiers for you to get early access, get bonus content, get all kinds of stuff, including poster art, Physical stuff, including T-shirts and posters. There's a variety of options for you, and uh, everything from as little as one dollar a month up to fifty dollars a month, and pretty much everything in between. So, if you are able, I know it's still tough times for a lot of people. We under totally understand if you're unable to support us, but if you do have some extra cash and you'd like to support us, we would very much appreciate that.
2: We should mention that at time of recording, we may have passed this when we time the episode goes up. Who knows? We are very close to hitting a stretch goal. So if you're thinking to yourself, uh, eh, I could afford like maybe five dollars, but I don't really... I can't be really bothered. Just so you know, the rewards are there, and obviously you have all the back catalogue, of all the outtakes, all the bits and pieces we've done, the various extra discussions about what we've watched recently, and we did a thing about favourite actors and all that sort of stuff, and the Oscars and everything else. But, we are very, very, very close to a stretch goal, which is us breaking down the MCU, over like three parts. Huge, huge analysis So It's just been a
0: much requested thing of like When you're doing Thor Dark World When you're going to do Iron Man 2 Speaking of
2: prequelizers Captain America First Avenger That's arguably maybe a prequel But we're not going to cover it, spoilers Because that's an MCU thing and that's a big Mm. big discussion And we need a long, long, long time to bring that up Which we We are going to offer you For a price (laughs) Um, So yes, if you are available If you think about that, that's fine But just so you know, there will be extra added bonus incentive
1: As part of our Patreon, if you support us at a high enough level, you get producer credits on the show. Uh, And so we should thank and give our customary golf clap to our producers, Jonathan Firth-Clark.
0: Thank you, Jonathan.
1: Mike Salvia. And Mr. Stuart Main.
0: That wraps us up for the episode. Mm. So thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Should we start singing "Men of Harlem"? <laughs> or or, or was that that
2: song? Is that Men, "Men of Harlem"? They it's sing the not "They sing Harlem. the
1: Harlem Shake." I'm pretty sure. <laughs> 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 I want
2: to find out what it is now.
0: I love that. Si- love that <laughs> scene where they're
1: all they're all holding position, and then the music changes, and they all just go crazy. <laughs> 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 it's like let's sing the Ooh. "Men of Harlem." Do you mean the "Men of Harlem"?
2: No, I do not. <laughs>